And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Well, 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 welcome to episode 61 of Down on the Docks. My name is Chris Neff. I'm joined, as always, by my co-producer, co-partner, Dave Sarah. How are you? Hello. That's what... Whoa! A little curveball this week, huh? Good day. If you're wondering why we're a day late, Dave will explain why this episode is a day late. Go ahead, Dave. Drugs. That's no. right. I was at Skankfest. Yeah. And, and then on Tuesday, I had to come and uh, face reality uh-huh. and uh, do a decompression and go through the bills with my parents who had been gone for three months. A lot of people in the Discord are like, what's going on with Dave? He's just posting random pictures of cocaine and beer bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in a blackout? Uh, no, 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 no. I've, I, I just do those things. Because you called me in a blackout. I didn't call you in a blackout. It was a gray out. No, I I remember calling you. Yeah, yeah. I remember. But you I, were you were. I was fucked up. I think. <laughs> I mean, I was definitely fucked up when I called you. I thought you. It sounded like you were speedballing. And then I, I was. <laughs> I mean, when I say fucked up, I mean, I mean, probably almost a thousand milligrams of um, THC, and probably yeah. at that point about two and a half Grammys. Yeah, it was Sunday night, and I hear you going, "Hey, bro, hey, bro," and I'm like, "What?" And you're like, "No, no, no, I'm talking to this guy who's passed out on the couch," and I'm just like. Do you want to go deal with all your drug problems and then call me back? <laughs> he wasn't just some dude who was passed out on the couch. He was okay. my roommate. <laughs> but yeah. Got it. Well, um, we're glad to have you back. Um, again, listeners, we're sorry we're a day late. But that doesn't mean you can't do something positive for us That's by right. leaving us a review yes. on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Twitter, following us on Twitter at Down on the Docs or Instagram at DownOnTheDocsPod.com. Now, I have been getting a number of down on the docs pod.com down on the docs pod on Sorry. Instagram. I've been getting a number of your requests for documentaries. They are cataloged. Um, I'm currently working on searching for scripts for a few of them. So that's pretty exciting stuff. So just be, Yo, be I'm searching for some scripts too. searching for sugar, man. No, just oh, some scri- scripts. <laughs> anyway, send us an email at down on the docs at gmail.com. If you are not on social media, I don't blame you if you're not, but that's where you send uh, your requests. Media. Or you can uh, join the Discord, which has been popping. Tons of memes in there. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Dave, as always, why do we record this podcast? For the pussy, as we always said. (laughs) Right, dude? Because we're just drowning in it. We got pussy cats here. We got a lot of cats. and So we got into this this, this podcast for the pussy. For the cats. Okay, for the cats. Literally. Um, Of course, like I've said many times, this podcast does not run on cat meows no and children's laughter no those are fun parts of it though yes so um if you don't mind can you please let us know who this week's show is sponsored by this week's episode of down in the docks is brought to you by broccoli farms established in 2016 san diego by the way broccoli farms 619 on instagram mm-hmm. san diego california by candace entrepreneur anthony bird our friend anthony nice guy never met him great guy never met him Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide 
Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one. Broccoli Farms. How many times did I say cannabis in that sentence? Three, four, maybe four, five. Four. I think four times. You know what? That's also my fault. The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego, bar none. All right. Speaking of marijuana cigarettes, Dave, yeah. how much THC is currently sweating out of your pores right now? Oh, um, I've um, I've done. Um, I, you know what happened is one of my that roommate, uh, he gave me a little canister of dabs because uh -huh. I ran out of weed on the last day. Uh -huh. Dabs and is the crack of marijuana cigarettes. Yeah, it's like a, it's just like a concentrate, right? Uh -huh. And so literally every single cigarette I've had in uh -huh. the, for the past three days yeah. has just had a little bit of like on it. A little dab will do you. And it just fucking just keeps you in the pocket all day, dude. Right. Right. All day. Could you imagine going through a day without getting uh, a marijuana? It happens cigarette? all the time. Really? I go through lots of days without smoking or okay. doing blow or drinking. Okay. I do lots of those. That, I will say this. You are very responsible. But yeah. when you go out, yeah, you I like go my out job. hard. I go, but I don't even, when I go out, I go hardcore, yeah. but every single weekend I'm in core, hardcore, indoor hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's in called, my room. It's called uh, degenerate. Well, it's called the discord. Well, that, that's true. And it's called us. call of duty. Yes. That's and part no of pussy. It. Yes. That's also part of it. That's also part <laughs> and, of it. And I shouldn't be saying things right. like no yeah. pussy. Yeah, because, because you're not getting any pussy either. And you're not playing. But that's by call choice. That's all by choice. Well, so is mine really. Okay. So. I'm very excited for this week's podcast. Are yeah, um, a little ditty. You feel like uh, you feel like solving a mystery. Ooh, ooh a little mystery. Uh -huh, a little conspiracy. A little conspiracy. Oh, 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 oh. Soaked in bleach from 2015. Produced, written, and directed by Benjamin Statler. Okay. Okay. Uh, any ideas what this could be about? Um. <laughs> um. Let's see. Soaked in bleach, huh? Somebody is killed very good guess with bleach the film opens oh and wait okay go on with a thunderclap sure and we hear some <laughs> what color was she black <laughs> clap 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 so and we hear clap? All right. we hear ominous music mm -hmm. heavy rain cascading down a large window pane and we hear numerous reporters and people was it ominous music like <laughs> no but have that ominous ready. music have that ready because that'll be needed shortly. Um, and we also see hazy, smoky images in videos of the late Kurt Cobain performing oh, and being interviewed. Oh, fuck. As well as a montage of documents and photos, newspapers, and video footage from the police investigation from his death. We hear an unknown voice. Mm -hmm. He's reaching out, really, for the downtrodden of society, for the average Joe on the street wants to look up to his lyrics and music and say, hey, this man's talking my language. Title's up. Soaked in bleach. Now, do you know where the title comes from, Dave? Uh, is it a song from... Give me a little music if from you don't mind. Uh, come, come, come doused in mud Soaked in bleach As I want you to be come As, as a friend As a friend Yes, it's all memory. 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 Oh, that's how you're doing it? Memory. 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 And I swear that I don't have a gun. All right. 
What's don't on have it? a gun. <laughs> don't have a gun. Okay. Don't have a gun. By the way, <laughs> can we just give it up for what I like to call synchronicity? Yeah. Because that song works for every song I sing. <laughs> every beat. Every yeah, It just works beat. somehow. So do you know what song that is? Uh, it's Come As You Were. Correct. Come As You Are. Or Come As You Are. From which album? Uh, the one with the baby penis? Yep, never mind. Their yep. 1991 breakthrough smash hit. Now, Dave. Sounds like a David Bowie song. Little, hey, you know, he loved Bowie. He I know. covered the man who saved the world I know. on Unplugged. Now, I realize all my favorite Nirvana songs are really just David Bowie songs. And then all my favorite David Bowie songs are just Bob Dylan songs. I'm just impressed you know who David Bowie was. Okay. I thought you were going to compare him to... Um, Wake up! You little nigga! Is there life on Mars? Is there life on Mars? Is there life on Mars? All right. Um, I got to tell you about my history about Nirvana. Okay. When I was in uh, ninth, no, 10th grade. In the 40s. <laughs> wow, we're going back. This story is going all the way back to before Cobain was even alive. Huh? All right, go on. When I was in 10th grade. Uh, which would have been around 1990. I um, and my best friend, we were we did uh, a lot of uh, drugs mm -hmm. um, and alcohol. Although mm -hmm. I was kind of the pussy of the group, so right. like I didn't smoke pot in high school. Maybe right. like once or twice, but I did a lot of drink. It did some acid. Uh, didn't touch cocaine until I was in college, mm -hmm. and then it was over. Right. right. Uh, but we would college play, was over. We would play on this intramural soccer team. No oh, In uh, high school. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one day he said, you got to listen to this. Okay. And I said, well, what is it? And he handed me a tape cassette that somebody had recorded because back then when we grew up, we would record songs off the radio. If yeah. we had to have it, I did that too. Well, he would, he gave me uh, a tape that had the word bleach on it. I was sick. And I was like, what is it? And mm -hmm. he was like, it's Nirvana and you got to hear this. Now mm -hmm. this is before Nevermind. Mm -hmm. And I remember hearing about a girl. I remember hearing Love Buzz and I was just like, who the fuck are these guys? These are amazing. So yeah, that yeah. was my first nice. taste of Nirvana. And of course I became a huge fan and you know, they're always in my rotation, but there was a good 15, nah, 10 year period where I could not listen to the music. Right. Because I just cringy. No, it was no. like it was it was like it's too sad and depressing knowing it's Oh gone. right, right, that too. But so, that's the cringy part of that. So that's my personal connection with Nirvana. Do you have a connection with Nirvana? Oh yeah. Um my brother was a huge Guns N' Roses fan. Uh-huh. And he was at the concert that um uh Kurt Cobain climbed the thing climbed the backdrop of uh -huh. it was like an mtv music it was, thing. yeah vh1 Just yelling axel yeah. and then the dude threw the bass in the air and hit his head Chris Nova Selleck, the bassist. The yeah and um <laughs> and my my brother came back a, a, a equally as big nirvana fan from that point After on that. and then when he started going through his weird schizophrenic beginnings this is your the Kurt my, or my, your brother my brother okay he um he's he he scarily got very deep into Kurt Cobain. And uh, you can imagine, uh, you know, thoughts of probably suicide were entering right. his brain, things like that. So, right. and then uh, some odd notebooks with lots of writing in it uh -huh. also showed up too. So, look creepy. But um, I was always kind of a Guns N' Roses guy because of that yeah. first. I still love and Guns N' Roses. And I like Guns And I like Nirvana. Doesn't, yeah. they, don't, they, don't just, they just don't do it for me. Yeah. All that much. I like. I mean, one of my favorite songs though is that live um, 
Where'd you, where, sleep, where last you night? sleep last night? Yeah, you know it's that's fun. a lead belly. Song, I know that. Right? Yeah, and just just in case. The I like I like I like the Nirvana version yeah. better. When that unplugged album came out, I ran to HMV on Seventy Second Broadway. Mm-hmm. I had to have that CD mm-hmm. because I'd been waiting. And back then, of course, we would watch it on MTV just over and over and over again. Unplugged, and when it came out, I ran out. Yeah. I bought the CD. Yep. I put it in my locker in the Fordham University Theater scene shop and went home or to my dorm room right, right. after to go listen to it and it was missing. <gasps> and Another conspiracy. It was gone for a week and a half. Oh. And I lost my fucking mind. Uh-huh. And I didn't have enough money to go out and buy a new one. And what happened? Well, you found out it was like my in the back. friends, oh. uh, Kathleen Powers mm. and Noreen Heslin, Dirty Horse, They'd stolen it from me just because they knew how much I loved it. Oh. They gave it back, but to that this day, nice. I still give them shit. Anyway, this movie, or this film, this doc rather, is going to uh, tackle the um, conventional wisdom that Kurt Cobain committed suicide. So that's our overview just before we get into it. Wow, it doesn't go into any of the bullshit, huh? Gillis uh, pretty much tells the story pretty linearly of an open and shut case, Johnson. Well, let me ask you this before we get in. Yeah. What do you think the likelihood is that Kurt Cobain killed himself? I think... <laughs> I mean, just to give it some... Give me a number. 10%. Okay. So you already have some feelings oh, yeah. on this. Oh, yeah. And see, here's the thing. I just don't know if it was... If it was... If it was... The, the slut. The Courtney Hole. Or if it was... <laughs> or, yeah, or the other guy. Grohl. Uh, oh, could you think Grohl could be on I mean, okay. Grohl could be in on it. Okay, so here's the thing. I had always assumed uh, it was a, a slam dunk suicide. Courtney because Love, Because yes. junk... I know, I call her Courtney Hole. Because junkies have a tendency to... Uh, especially smack junkies. Mm-hmm. They have a tendency to kill themselves. Sure. So I'd always followed the, the narrative. Now, I want you to go into it with is an open mind as sure. possible, a non-conspiratorial mind. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just going to lay out the facts and we're going to discuss them. Yeah. So the, the the film opens and, you know, a reporter's talking to Kurt and he says, you know, you guys don't like explaining anything to do with your music. And Kurt says, there's nothing to be said. It's all in the music. Uh, we hear another unknown person basically describing Kurt as a John Lennon type figure to Generation X. Um, and then, of course, we learned from a reporter that Kurt was found at his house in Seattle on a Friday morning with uh, his head missing. Appar- we're going to get to that. <laughs> Apparently, because you know what? What? His head was there. A lot of people think oh. that his head was gone. OK. Apparently, from <laughs> Thank a God se- for that self-inflicted shotgun to the head. Now, we know the narrative and they kind of uh, lay this out as well. Do you remember how who found him? No, it was an electrician. Oh, so. He was found. Well, not, now I think the electrician did it. He was found not in his house, <laughs> but in um, uh, across from the house. There was a garage that was what they called a greenhouse, and he was in the top of that. Okay, there was also a note found, and uh, we hear another person say it first got reported that Kurt was missing, and Courtney Love hired a private investigator nom- named Tom Grant. So Tom is the focus of this film. So Tom, he's a former L.A. County Sheriff's detective, um, worked in West Hollywood Precinct. And he said, I've been involved in missing person cases before. And red flags started popping up immediately. 
So I began recording every conversation I had with Courtney during the entire period that I worked for. And then we hear another unknown voice, and it said it could have been made to look like a suicide. Well, Courtney Love, and this is from an actual audio recording, says, people that I had do this, I paid. And then we hear another unknown voice say, I walked into cases that looked like they were suicides that turned out to be homicides. Well, we hear a reporter uh, announcing that Cobain's wife, singer Courtney Love, was in England on tour with her band, Hole. Do you remember they were in a band? Yes, I do. I even know a, a person that was in the band, Hole, in Ooh, this revival. Eric? Her name was Divine. Okay. She was, was she a, a bass bassist? player. Well, she must have replaced Kristen Pfaff then. I think she did. Okay. She was very... We're, we're going to get into Kristen in part two of this episode. Great. So be forewarned. Anyway, uh, she was, you know, she's in England on tour. Um, now, we hear another unknown saying, as it is, she has inherited an estate worth tens of millions of dollars. That's motive. Well, did Courtney Love kill Kurt, Kurt Cobain? Did she have a hand in any kind of conspiracy? There are favorite topics. These Believe are favorite topics <laughs> of fanatics. Well, Tom, he says there's nothing in the ME's report or coroner's report that could not have easily been duplicated by a murderer. Um, it's entirely possible that a police officer, no matter how well trained, may not see or notice a particular item of evidence. Kurt Cobain, he wasn't barricaded in the room. These are Tom's words. He did not leave his driver's license out. No one would believe that was a suicide note. Kurt Cobain was injected with three times the lethal dose of heroin. The Ooh, media he says was injected. Ooh. Yeah. The media was getting this wrong. Now, we see some titles come up, and the film is very objective in, in, in this sense. It says, this film examines the death of Kurt Cobain. It presents conclusions and personal opinions based on the case files and audio recordings from private investigator Tom Grant, as well as other professionals who confirm his findings. It is unlikely that Courtney Love will agree with the contents of this film. With respect to the cause of her husband's death, Miss Love's viewpoint is aligned with the official conclusion presented by the Seattle Police Department. I thought you said this follows the official no, no, narrative no, no. of this. No. Oh, it actually gets into like yeah. all that bullshit. Okay, yeah. cool. You decide. All right, great. All right, so let's flash back to Thursday, April 7, 1994. Right. Which was one day before mm -hmm. they found mm -hmm. Cobain's I was body. five years old. Okay. No, I wasn't. I was eight years old. <laughs> well, at this point of the film, we begin to see uh, reenactments cast with actors that outline the preceding and following days um, before Kurt and after Kurt died. Right. Well, the, um, we, we hear some rhythmic windshield wipers as the camera slowly pans to reveal a man in the driver's seat of a car who's talking to a male passenger on a rainy night. Now, before we go any further, I have to tell you something. I've watched every episode of Unsolved Mysteries. I've watched every episode of uh, A Crime to Remember. I'm not a snapped guy. I'm not a fucking uh, wives that kill guy. I don't go that deep. But these... You're like a... Have a glass of wine with the girls and we'll talk about some true crime. <laughs> These reenactions are so well done. 
Oh, okay. It's literally beautiful filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It's cast to perfection. Okay. So, so they have like reenactments of they have like a Kurt, Kurt. Oh Re- yeah, Kurt Cobain. Kurt, Re- there's a Kurt, Kurt in there. Re- yeah. So oh, God, that's hilarious. The scene we see right now is a, uh, an actor portraying, portraying Tom Grant, who's the PI, and an actor portraying Dylan Carl's, Carlson, who was Kurt's best friend. So they're in a car, and Tom says, "Are you sure he's not in there?" And Dylan says, I'm knocked for at least five minutes. If he's there, he would have answered. Now, by the way, something you need to know about Dylan, who you're going to hear a lot of in this film, he always looks and appears like he's on smack. Okay. Okay. He's got like those glassy red eyes. Glassy, not red, just glass eyes, nods off a lot, looks like a grease ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tom says, all right, I just don't want to end up on the wrong side of a shotgun. Well, let's go. So... Um, we understand that these transcripts in the reenactment are coming from Tom's recordings because he recorded everything. So we have that to rely on as a very uh, solid narrative of what we're hearing because this, th- you'll be in, the, in a reenactment and then the little video uh, or audio recorder will come up. So it's emphasizing that what you're watching is based exactly on Tom's recordings. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So it's like, yeah, you're right. So they have uh, accurate. I got It's very impressive. So they exit the vehicle and they break into the Cobain house through a window. And Tom says, call out while you're in there. I mean, at this point, how many days has Kurt not been answering? It's the day before he was found dead. But like how long before that had he not been answering? We'll get to it. Now, here's the thing. Somebody called me over the weekend. It wasn't just somebody. It was our executive scripter extraordinaire, Jessica. Right. And she said, you know, Chris, I have one complaint about the pod. And I said, bring it. And she says, you know, a lot of times you'll say, we're going to get there to Dave. Mm -hmm. But you don't get there. I know. We we made this thing last last week. Right. So (laughs) the reason why is I have a lot of hats to juggle around here. And as you know, I have a lot of hats a lot of to, balls juggle. to juggle too. So the only way I'm not going to uh, forget is if you write down, down and say, why you know, don't you write them down? Because I've got a lot All of hats. Right, I'll write them I'm down. Let's go. So the point is how many days at the end of the show, if the, any of your questions are not answered, we will answer them. No, we're not. What I'm going to do is I'm going to mark it and say it against you and be like, ha, we didn't fucking answer one, two, three of these. The faggot. point is. Once you hear that I have answered it, you yep. got to cross it off your okay, sheet. That's fine. Okay. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, oh, Thompson. Shit. Speaking of sheets, I got a clean line tonight okay. for the rally tomorrow. For the Oh, there's a rally? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm not, I'm not a Ku Klux Klan member, Chris. Okay. It's a joke. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of a straight man. Yeah. But that's what I do very good. Always very straight, well. never forward. That's right. That's right. Who'd you learn that one from? <laughs> He shall not be named. Another partner. Okay. Anyway, um, Tom says, call out. While you're in there, call out, hey, Kurt. Hello, Kurt. You know, make a lot of noise. And we hear Dylan. He's like, Kurt. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And then Tom's like, Kurt, you know, because he's like doing his job. Well, we see them go in through uh, Cobain's house. And Tom's like, we got a statue here. Well, do you remember the cover from In Utero? No. Okay, remember uh, the human body exhibit? 
Yes. Okay, so you remember how they had the sliced open Oh, hammers? yes. And then the angel wings? Yes. They find yes, that. Yes, yes, From the album cover. No. They open the closet. Oh, fuck. <laughs> They're like, ah! Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. That was fucking scare me. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm sure. I'm assuming everything's dark and shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Tom says, if we find it, we're going to have to take it, right? And Dylan says, yeah, which wait, I can. Wait, wait, what? You got to pay attention. Oh, boy. Okay. Dylan says, yeah, which I can legally do since I bought it. It's in my name. Now, keep in mind, they don't think Kurt's dead at this point. He's just missing. Yeah, he's just strung up, probably. Yeah, but it's strung, strung out. Strung out. It's <laughs> not strung up. Tom's, I'm still thinking about that rally tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's like, it's not here. Could it be under the bed? Dylan, maybe. Well, Tom says, no. All right, let's move this. All right, what is this? Does this mean anything to you? Well, they flip the mattress up. And they reveal a small package of pills. Ooh. And Dylan's like, yeah, Rohypnol. Party pills. Rohypnol. That's what oh, they what are. Oh, what is that? Rohypnol. I don't know what that is. I'm going to get it to you in a second. Write it down. Okay, go on, go on, go on. Because I have it written down. Okay, it's right. About it's good, and the actor says, I mean, it's not the actor. Tom Grant says, what? And he goes, he kept saying someone stole them, but they've been sitting there. These are what he OD'd on in Rome. Oh, well, God. Tom says, well, she didn't want us to take those. He's referring to Courtney. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. Would she be okay if you keep them? And Dylan's like, yeah. Well, Tom's like, are those illegal? He's like, no. He's like, they're not? No, they're prescription from England. They're over the counter in England. Are they legal here? Yeah, they're completely legal. They're like, what are they used for? They're yeah, sold as... Coming down a, after a bender. A sedative for sleeping ailments. And sometimes they're given to people. And if I get pulled over, I'm not going to get arrested for having these? No, man, they're fine. Wow. Well, Rohypnol... Yes. ...is... Highly illegal. Flanet, I'm just joking. It's Flanutsrapan. Flanutsrapan. Okay. Well, it has a Pam in it. So it it's it's a, funny. If it's you got you a Pam, you know a, you're going down. That's all you need to know. Flanutsrapan. Uh, Sick. It's a Schedule 4 narcotic. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's serious shit. I mean, Schedule 4 is well, not good. Possession not, not of this drug yeah. is a third degree misdemeanor, and selling it is a fourth degree okay, felony. It's nothing. But Rohypnol is the date rape drug. Oh, oh the new one. The, new ro the newer one. Well, I Wasn't the know. old one Rufalin? Well, I don't, I don't know. Fucking no, they're, they're all date rape drugs. Right. Whatever Cosby used. Yes. Well, he, he called it Spanish Fly. Yeah. Well, this drug has been banned in the U.S. since October 13, 1996. Well, Tom says... Oh, shit, okay. It's like two years later. <laughs> it was banned. Yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, the shotgun's not here. Uh -huh. And Dylan's like, I don't know where it would be. And he's like, anything else? And Dylan's like, no. Well, we see um, Tom pull out of the driveway. And at this point, the camera in the recreation pans up above to the garage where Cobain's body, of course, was found. And now above we... Above the garage? Like yeah. in the room above the garage? Is yeah. that where all the fucking wood paneling bullshit is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking so gross, dude. Why? Wood paneling gives you the creeps? It kind of has always, yeah. It's always just yeah. been super tacky it's and just like red, green, or brown carpet with the we had that in my living room forever yeah we just got rid of it i a remember i went to a doctor when i first got to la and he had that brown fucking shit and when i went in i felt like he was being a little touchy with me Ooh. and i remember running out of that place hell yeah and you know he was like wait a minute wait a minute um you know we haven't i haven't given you the full exam and i'm like dude i'm out bro yeah and i was like dude 
the fucking wood paneling was a dead giveaway. Uh, I should have seen it coming. Yeah, yeah. And you know yeah. it's stained because people put up like their diplomas and shit. Yeah. The, and then they move them. Yeah. And you still see the same. The mark. Same? Yeah. Yeah, it's creepy. Okay, time to hear another audio recording of Tom Grant talking with Courtney Love. And Tom says, you know, you mentioned in Rolling Stone about another note that he wrote you. And she says, well, it's like a letter. And it's not really like a suicide note. It's like it was in a sealed envelope. And it was just like to me. And it seemed like he wrote it in rehab. Where'd you find it? It was in my bedroom under my pillows. Uh, yeah, uh, under your pillows? Yeah, I didn't tell anybody about it. But Rosemary and uh, I told Sergeant Cameron about it. Um, he's Tom says, yeah. And he, she says, I let him see it. Well, Tom says, there's only one problem with that, Courtney. What? Well, I looked under your pillows, just like we looked under your mattresses. That's how I found the Rohypnol between your mattresses. That note wasn't under your pillows or the bed. Now he's very accusatory yeah. against Courtney. Yeah. Keep in mind, she hired him. Yeah. So we don't know exactly when this conversation took mm. place. And she says, Tom, I showed it to Sergeant Cameron and he can tell you, you know, he can prove it. I'll show it to you if you want to see it. And he's like, yeah, so I want to see it. So she just hired him for the ruse. All right, go on. Well, there's, there could be something to that. Sure. And Tom says, but what I'm telling you is it was not there the night before the body was found or the night before that because, you know, you can ask Dylan about this. We put the pillows up. We were looking for the drugs. We looked under the mattresses. That's where the Rohypnol was, and there was no note. And she says, it was like, right, it was like a long envelope, a white envelope. It was sealed. It had my name on it. It was definitely Kurt's writing, and it was right under my pillows. And Tom's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And Courtney again says, I have a bunch of pillows on that bed. It was right there. And Tom says, all I can say to, to Courtney is, if you say so, but I looked. Mm -hmm. Well, time to learn a little bit about Tom. Um, he was hired by Courtney to find Kurt in April of 1994. Now, remember, Kurt died on April 8th. Yeah. So when he says April, it must have been the beginning of April. Well, he comes from a, a background. His father was a school teacher. And according to him, this is a man I never caught one time in my entire life telling a lie. I had the best role model. So he uh, becomes a police officer, graduates from the L.A. Sheriff uh, Department, and his first assignment, as I mentioned before, was with West Hollywood Sheriff Station. He was a patrol officer. And he says, when I quit the department, I quit in very high standing. And from there on, I took the test and obtained my own PI license. So then we see some, some grainy film footage. And these are from April 4th, 8.58 p.m., April 6th, 1994, 10 to 23 p.m. More from uh, the next day, 106. More from uh, the following day, the 6th. And more from uh, the day previously at 1033. Now, these appear to be surveillance-type videos of dark streets and the exteriors of apartment buildings and motels. So it's kind of tough to see what we're looking at. Well, Tom says, what I believe makes a good PI is that I apply logic and common sense to everything I do. I've seen a lot of suicides, a lot of murders, and I don't try to predetermine anything. And if I feel that my client that's coming to me for help is in the wrong based on what they're telling me, I will let them know this could be a dangerous trip for you. Well, time to meet 
author and investigative journalist Max Wallace, who wrote a book called Love and Death. Hmm. And he Was says, that about Cobain? Yeah. Okay. He says, scratch the surface of most PIs and you don't find a clean record. You find it's true. They're usually dirty cops that yeah. lose the badge and the gun. Yeah. By the way, my favorite scene in every cop movie: mm-hmm. the badge and the gun. Yeah, hand Give over me. the badge and the gun. Um, and he says, but Tom Grant's not like that. He has an exemplary record. Uh, he was extremely well respected, and there was a consensus that went a long way to convincing us of his credibility. Well, Tom says, this is interesting because I never thought about this. Do you know where the word conspiracy? The word yes, yes. Um, it comes from the FBI or the CIA. They created it to call what a conspiracy. I don't remember exactly. It is a legal term. Yeah, and it simply means two or, or oh, more oh, people. Oh, oh, oh. I, I meant the word conspiracy theory. Oh yeah. Okay, no, the word conspiracy means two people, two or more people conspiring, plotting, plotting, whatever a crime. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now I thought you meant, yeah. he says even shoplifting with another person could yep. be charged with conspiracy, right. but conspiracies don't exist. Correct. When somebody refers to me as a conspiracy theorist, I take it as an insult. Because I know what they mean by it. Hiring me is not hire, like hiring an attorney. It's not to protect you. It's not to keep you out of jail. My job as a PI is to find the truth. It's simply to find the truth in the matter that you're hiring me for. Now, we're going to go to Sunday, April 3rd, 1994, five days before Cobain was found in Los Angeles, California. And we see another amazing reenactment of a greedy office setting. And uh, then juxtaposed with a hotel room as Tom tells us how Courtney originally contacted him. Mm -hmm. Well, Tom is in his office on an Easter Sunday with another private dick uh, named Ben Klugman, and they were dealing with a client. The phone rings, and he says, who calls on Easter? And I can answer this, by the way. Family members. No. (laughs) People that close deals. Okay. If you want... No, I'm serious. Because here's the thing. I, you know me. I've worked um, in, in, in weird industries throughout my life, but what I've noticed more than anything is people call you at the weirdest times, yeah. especially celebrities, high, in, high net worth individuals, and it doesn't matter. That's why you always answer your phone if you want to close the deal. Well, Tom answers. He's like, yep, Grant, Grant Company, how can I help you? And um, he describes Courtney as a, a woman with a very raspy, low voice, and, you know... Um, we're going to jump right into the scene. Um, he says, now, if someone is unlawfully using your credit cards, maybe the police are the better people to call. So Courtney's calling saying somebody stole my credit cards or my husband's credit cards. And then she says, now, here's the thing. My husband and I are kind of famous and we need to get this solved right away. Ooh. And Tom's like, in your husband's name. And um, there's a younger guy behind him. And he literally writes, uh, Kurt Cobain. Wow. And Tom's like, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> I don't yeah. So, and uh, the, the young kid's yeah. like, are you kidding me? And he pulls out like a People magazine. And yeah. he's like, hey, look, it's Kurt. It's this Corey. guy. Yeah. Well, Tom was 47 at the time. Hey. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> it certainly does. And his investigator, the There's junior, still time for you, bud. The, let's just, hey, let's just yeah. drop this and just become pirates. I've been thinking about it. No, you haven't, I swear stupid. to God. You're like, actually, you're like, Dave does know technology stuff pretty well. So now that we can, I can actually work the gadgets. It might actually be fun. I saw when I saw these dress up as my wife, when I saw these reenactments, I saw myself as Tom Grant and I saw Uh you as Ben Klugman, the 29 year old guy, the fucking, okay. Okay. You know, I thought they were going to say I was the junkie on the, no, you're not not Dylan Carlson. Okay, great. 
but I, I've, uh, I've always wanted to be a PI, amongst other things. Well, you're definitely a PIG. <laughs> okay, I see what you did there. Uh, if you've ever seen the Maltese Falcon or the Big Sleep... Or uh, read a little Dashiell Hammett nope. or some Raymond Chandler. No. Uh, <laughs> do you know who these people are? No, I don't. Okay. Um, Novelists, I assume. Yeah. But you always Gay. get this seedy character like Sam Spade in the office mm-hmm. down to his last cigarette. Yeah, 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 yeah. Waiting for the phone call. Those I've Just seen. so he could pay the rent. Yeah. Or like Chinatown, you know. Like, my husband's been murdered. Yeah, classic. <laughs> Exactly. I'll give you $5,000 to start. Yeah. It was $5,000. Plus expenses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's how you make your money. Woman, for PI. you don't even know. What, I'll take half that. Anyway, um, they know who they were. Uh, they figure out who they were because you have to remember, this is two weeks before the Rome incident had come out. Or two weeks after, rather, the Rome oh, incident. Now, do you remember the Rome perfect incident? Perfect timing. No. Okay. I assume he OD'd on romethazole, what is it called? Rohypnol. Rohypnol. Yeah, so here's what you, he, uh, our man uh, Tom says. He says, now, it's a holiday, and there are a few other private eyes working. And he says, I'm pretty sure she just went through the phone book and called multiple PIs, and I was the only one that answered. Wow. But we see his Yellow Pages ad. Yeah. You remember, 94, you're a private dick. Yeah. You're probably in the Yellow Pages. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, Courtney summons him over. Uh, and he heads over to the Peninsula Hotel, and he says it's not very often that a PI goes uh, against his client, so I'm sure Courtney regrets hiring me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we were able to meet Courtney at the Peninsula, the first thing she said when she opened the door was, if you leak this to the press, I'll sue the fuck out of you. And, she, and he's like, okay, well, how the hell are you doing too? Yeah. Nice to meet you. Well, we see this room in the Peninsula, and Courtney's dressed like a huh. Yeah. She's got fucking tight a, black fishnet. No, something she's like. wearing a negligee. Oh, that's cool. practically see-through. Sick. You got a junkie over on the. You couch. can see her degletage. Yeah, you see, there's a junkie over on the couch, Sick. passed out. Hell yeah. And um, you know, she says Curtis. This is weird. She referred to him as Curtis, which I never heard. Yeah, she's trying to make it more proper. Probably. Um, he came, he came back from rehab a couple days ago and he bought a ticket back to Seattle, but no one's seen him since he got back. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Tom describes her outfit as she might as well have been not wearing nothing because I can see through everything. Well, Kurt Courtney says she called the credit card companies. I said the card was stolen, but they can't do anything about it. You know, that's all they can do. And, we learned through Tom that Courtney eventually told um, that the car, you know, him that the card was stolen. Um, but now we know that nobody can else use the card. That's as far as we've gotten in the case. So she's essentially cut him off from being able to spend money. Got it. And you know, Tom's like, I'm sure he's got other ways to figure out how to get money. And yeah, Courtney's like, Go to the bank. Courtney's like, No, no, I don't <laughs> think you get this. Kurt's helpless. Oh. And he doesn't have any friends. Mm. Okay. And she's like, you don't understand. This guy can't even, you know, catch a fucking cab. So I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like bullshit to me. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. So we see one of these people that's in Courtney's room walk by and smack her ass and go back to the couch and pass out. They're clearly on smack. Cool. Okay. And Courtney's like, oh, that no, don't pay any attention. That's my drug drug dealer. Oh yeah. So this is like how many days has he been dead? 
He's not even. Dead he's not yet. even dead yet, dude. Yeah, he's just missing. So he's just been whoring around. She's been Jesus. Christ. Well, and then Tom says, "I later found out that she was quote in rehab in the Peninsula Hotel." He learned that later, even though right. she's announcing the people walking around as their drug dealer. Right. So, but he was like, nobody was overseeing Courtney in rehab. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Courtney at this point says, "Listen, here's the down low. Kurt escaped from rehab. He bought a shotgun, and I feel like something bad's going to happen." Well, in the middle of the conversation, Tom says, she keeps saying how suicidal he is and how everybody thinks he's going to commit suicide. And Courtney says, everybody knows he's going to do it. He's going to die. And Tom says, hold on. If he bought a shotgun and he's suicidal, then dealing with the credit card, that's the last thing you should be working on. Yeah. And she says, well, that's where I want you to start. So Tom says... She started off with a lie when we first talked to her on the phone saying why she wanted to hire us, which wasn't true. And then she starts telling us these other things that just don't add up. They weren't logical. They didn't make sense. And all these red flags kept popping up. And back to the reenactment, he says, I don't know what's going to happen with this case, but we're going to document everything. Now, Tom says, looking back on that day, it turned out to be a real game changer in my life. The name Kurt Cobain goes through my head probably 400 times a day. And for the last 20 years, by necessity, because of all the emails I get, the letters I get, and all that stuff because he was so famous. It gets old after a while just thinking Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain. So we're going to go to multiple uh, little transition. It's quite done well by multiple reporters, they're just talking about Cobain. And we see montages of, you know, Kurt saying, there've always been good, passionate bands and rock and roll throughout history. It's just up to fans and the people involved in the music industry to make sure that it doesn't ever get stale. Well, we're going to go to Aberdeen, Washington. You ever been there, Dave? Nope. Depressing never been to Washington. One of the only states in this great union I've never been to. Very depressing town. Um, <laughs> we, it is. I imagine. We I imagine it's like, cloudy all the time it is you know that there's a correlation between cloudy cities and heroin use and then you don't say and then light and 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 um sunny cities and, and crack 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 use <laughs> really i mean up uh, stimulant use yep yeah i mean i guess that makes sense and right? that and that literally switching the people mm-hmm. like putting a, a a guy that lives that's a heroin addict in a cloudy city bring him to a sunny city and vice versa. You'll turn him into a crackhead? No. Oh. Essentially, in a lot of the ball. times, no, a lot of times literally rids them of their drug use. So they were just, just in the wrong place. Just just merely putting them somewhere else. Yeah. It's crazy uh, research. Interesting. Um, well, we meet his childhood friend. Named I think there's also some treatment involved as well, but well, they, but they make it seem like it's very light treatment. Hey, I'll tell you what, vitamin D from sunshine. Exactly, it that's can just one of the turn you in a heart. That's one of the things that does, yeah. and 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 literally one of the things about um, people who use stimulants yeah. is literally t- getting too much vitamin C. Really? Yes. Vitamin C. Or vitamin D vitamin from the sun. D. Yeah, vitamin yeah, yeah. D from the sun. Sorry, not vitamin yeah. C. Well, I'm a rain lover, yeah. and I live in the wrong place. Yeah. And I've always said that that's probably part of my depression. Maybe. Because I'm getting too much sun. Maybe. Um, interesting. That's very interesting. We mm-hmm. should we could do a little test on that. Yeah. You know? You just move me to a fucking cloudy city? You could move you to a cloudy city and see if you switch from coke to dope. To heroin? No, to heroin. No, yeah. Not really a big opiate guy. Um, 
Well, Mitch, his childhood friend, says, you know, in Aberdeen, there's nothing to do. So it's a pretty dreary place nine months out of the year. Extremely overcast, lots of rain. We meet a couple other friends, and, you know, they're like, it's pretty depressing here. <laughs> and, you know, there's no unemployment options. Um, we meet another friend named Ryan who says, you know, everybody's lower middle class here. Um, you know, we, we weren't poor. We didn't go hungry, but it's lower middle class. And Mitch has something very interesting to say. He says, for the first two weeks of the month, everybody gets their wealth, welfare, welfare, welfare check. check, right? That's a, that's a crazy gone going but on. But the first two weeks of the month, the bars are booming. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But then yeah, everybody yeah. blows it. Yeah. In the last two weeks, everybody's, yeah. you know. You know, they've kind of changed that now these days. They kind of do it on the day that you apply for it now. Oh. So if you apply for it on the 24th, you get yeah. it on the 24th. It's interesting. <coughs> it's almost like spinning up your mortgage payment yeah. into two payments during a month, uh -huh. which cuts off like 5% of your total mortgage, even though you're paying the same amount. That's a little trick out there a lot of mm. people do. Mm. They're like, why not just split it up in two weeks? Because you're technically giving the money two weeks earlier than you should. Okay. And then it like takes off 5% of the mortgage on your back end. And oh, I see. Interesting. Yeah. Very one. It's a little uh, hack, a life hack. Anyway, uh, we also meet a couple. I like the type of hack that you are. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we meet some neighbors Got that, that uh, <laughs> lived across the street <laughs> from Kurt. And uh, we also meet a school principal. Um, who talks about how he used to put Cobain up on his couch. And he's like, actually, this couch I'm sitting in, Kurt used to sleep on this couch. Um, and Mitch is like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you see this toilet? He took a shit on this toilet. <laughs> I still haven't flushed it. Uh, but Mitch says something very interesting. He says it was very depressing. But at the same time, that's why so many great bands came out of Washington State. Right. Because they had the inspiration. All right. Are we going to get into the which bands came from the fucking the great We're, state? Just the ones they talk I about. I knew it. Well, they show them. Uh, Mother Love Bone. Cool. Love Mother Love Bone. Sure. One of those bands I didn't get into later in life. I mean, I'd heard about them. Uh, I obviously knew the story of Andrew Wood dying and then Temple of the Dog coming together. And Temp the, tri the tribute Dead. album. But you need to listen to Mother Love Bone's first okay. album. Um, Soundgarden, of course. Cool. Um, <laughs> My brother's attorney's name is Chris Cornell. It's pretty funny. Is he really? Yeah. <laughs> dude, I wouldn't be able funny. to keep a straight face. I couldn't, dude. And he kind of came to court a little disheveled and like a little wrinkled. Yeah. But young, young dude. Uh, Mud Honey. Um, do you know who Mud Honey nah. is? Okay. Uh, Bikini Kill. Mm -mm. Uh, second greatest band of all time. Okay. Alice in Chains, not because oh, oh Alice in Chains, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. And that's of course, one. Of, that's another one of my favorites. And of course, the Melvins, the Melvins, dude. Yep. They uh, give a lot of Murphs, a lot of wedgies. Uh, Melvin. Well, Mitch anyway. continues and said, "There's nothing to do here, so it rained constantly. So you had to improvise, and people tended to just pick up instruments, and that's what affected our whole region and where this whole you know music came from, and." Um, you know, Lamont, the principal, he's like, the Melvins grew up on this block. Metal Church was over here. So they, these people had examples that had made it. Um, I have seen the Melvins. Uh, I saw them in 1993 at the Roseland in New York City. Okay. Opening up for Primus. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> One of the toughest Primus concerts. Primus yeah, sucks. of course. Primus sucks. Primus sucks. The toughest concert I've ever been to where I couldn't hang. What does that and, mean? Because the pit was too much. Oh. So I'm in the front row Yeah. Uh, at the end of the Melvin set. Yeah. 
and I'm with two big Primus fans as well as myself. And I've, I've been known to hang out right in the front through okay. the whole thing. Yeah. The well, tallest person in the round. I'm awesome. pretty tall. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm doing fine. Primus starts their first song, and I'm, I'm hanging on the metal gate in the front row. Yeah. And, and it's sucking you in? It didn't suck me in. It moved forward. Oh. And I fr- the, the gate went down. Uh, Not fully, but a good enough, amount. Enough. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get crushed here yeah. if I stay. Yeah. So at that point, I made one of the best decisions of my life, which was to get the fuck out of that pit yeah, yeah, and yeah. watch from the sidelines. Uh, but on there, that's the most panicked I've ever been in a concert. Yeah. When a piece of metal just bangs. breaks in front yeah, of you. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, wait a minute, how am I not hurt? And then you realize, well, all those other people were pushing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, more friends talk about how they used to see Kurt, uh, drumsticks, you know, da 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 da, patting them on his like, you know, truck. And um, Mitch says when we first saw the Melvins, uh, he just knew that's what he wanted to do, and that changed his life. Now we also meet a guy named Aaron Burkhard, and he claims to be Nirvana's first drummer. I didn't know this. I remember obviously there was Grohl, <laughs> there was another guy, Chad. But I didn't know that there was a, another guy named Aaron Burkhardt. And he says, before that, Nirvana was uh, called Skid Row. Horrible timing, obviously. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That is horrible timing. Fucking, what's his name? Sebastian Bach. Sebastian Bach. He's in one of the best fucking seasons of uh, Trailer Park Boys ever, dude. He was in Trailer Park he Boys? He was in a whole season of Trailer Park Boys. As a fucking, character or himself? As, a, as himself. Wow. Fucking Sebastian Bach. You fucking sell them. Uh, they they switch up. They switch. Re- they, they exchange like four hundred thousand dollars of weed for four hundred thousand dollars of cigarettes, yeah. and it's one of the best seasons ever. The Swayze t- Train Express. Dude, I, I got a comic story I got to bring in because it, I'll never forget it. I was in the back of the Laugh Factory one night, sitting upstairs, and um, uh, this pr- a- asshole manager comes up to me, and you can tell she's got attitude. <laughs> And um, she's like, who are you here to see? And I'm like, uh, just, uh, I, I can't even remember. I'm just like here. And uh, she's like, well, you know, I represent Phil around. And I'm like, uh, what? And she's like, Phil, he's going to be a huge star. And I'm like, okay, who's Phil Verone? Okay. She's like, um, he's the uh, ex-drummer from Skid Row. And I'm like, all right, let's see it. He comes out. Okay. Does fucking five to ten minutes of coke jokes that okay. everybody's heard. Hell yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. I want to hear some of those jokes. And um, I'm just like, this guy's going places, huh? <laughs> yeah. And then I realized this is just, again, the system we live in where you see these amazing artists work and get passed over because someone's got heat on them. And so I've kind of got the progression figured out because I've been working on this in my act, as a matter of fact. It went from fucking rock stars to fucking wrestlers and now we're a porn stars and i'm not sure who's going to be next but that's Definitely not comedians <laughs> correct <laughs> but that's the progression and that's what we're up against yeah the flavor of the month fizzled out fucking a month later what about but favor of the month uh, i see favorment of the month favorment i like that idea so anyway shout out them um they go from skid row um, and then the next day he says, Kurt showed up and he had an easel and he was painting this picture. And I looked at it and I go, what the hell is that? And he says, it's a painting of a giant pen with its cap chewed off. So then we went by the name pen cap chew. 
<laughs> I kind of almost feel like I've actually heard of that before. I've heard it too. And he he's like, we did some Skid shows. Skid Row, that's a tough one, uh -huh. though. We did shows. I mean, but wasn't Skid Row already kind of pseudo famous at the time? I mean, no, because Nirvana started, this is in like the mid 80s. Oh, okay. You got to remember, this isn't mm. like 91 okay. when Nirvana, okay. never mind, went okay. crazy. Sebastian Bach is a public tiff with uh well, with big j which is pretty funny <laughs> oh really yeah something that happened on their podcast they uh he was on it one time i guess um, All right, go on. well it's interesting because kurt obviously and the whole movement was basically supplanting what we knew as hair metal at the time right and that's not to say he wasn't a it's fan hair around metal now that's not to say he was a fan i mean because i know his the first album i think he ever learned to play was back in black now they're not hair metal they're rock and roll, okay. but I know that there are some influences, and he did have a wide range of influences, but there was no question that the Sunset Strip oversaturated the fucking uh, socks and cocks fucking weirdos that were on the strip wearing leopard pants and big fucking hair and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I remember the working curly, C. crunchy C. hair. I remember meeting CeCe DeVille once. CeCe DeVille. He was the fucking butt rocker that was in Poison. Oh um, yeah, he yeah. played uh, played. I think he played bass. Okay, I don't remember, but I remember I came, he came in. I was like, that guy's fucking fried. Um, I actually did. I I already admit this on the show that I went to a Poison concert. I think no. I did. Yeah, no, maybe. And then I had tickets to Crew like the next week, and I traded them for a Mickey Mantle baseball card mm. instead. Not 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 a great trade. If well, I if I had to go back, I would have gone back and watched the Crew. Oh, okay. um, so anyway, All they right. go from Ped Pen Cap Chew to Ted Ed Fred. And what is this, dude? Then they go to Bliss. Oh my God. This and is like fucking, this is like that scene from Parks and Rec where he just names all the bands he's been in. Fucking nothing rhymes with orange to everything rhymes with orange and then nothing rhymes with blorange. It's fucking just shit like that. Well, they go from Bliss and they finally settle, settle on Nirvana. God hates figs. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's pretty good. <laughs> Well, Ryan is their first tour manager, and he says, I didn't think Kurt was any different from us, you know? And Mitch says, I think people tended to read Kurt wrong uh, just because he was very quiet. And again, Ryan says, I don't see Kurt as being depressed. I see him as being very optimistic. Another one says he gave me a lot of hope to get out of this area someday with my own music. Well, at the time, you've got Nirvana, Mudhoney, and the Melvins doing something. And Ryan says, to me, that takes courage. And he had that courage, and that was the big difference. He also had so much talent and tremendous amount of creativity to give. So it's unlimited what he could have become. Well, time to see Kurt in some old archive French footage that they've translated. And Kurt says, it would be nice to eventually start playing acoustic guitars and then be thought of as a singer-songwriter rather than a grunge rocker. Because then I could take advantage of that shit when I'm older and sit down on a chair like, you and know. Get ditched the band and make a shit ton of money. Yeah, but be like Johnny Cash. Yeah. Um, and, it, and But he says, and it wouldn't be a big joke, but right. who knows? Right, right, right. And then Mitch says, my last memory of Kurt, and it's not a good thing for me, but I was on my way to work and I had to get gas and I stopped at one of my former employees and I was getting gas in my car and I heard it on the radio. And... That he was dead. Um, yeah. And he says, I can't forget that day. Now, I as well will never forget that day. Yeah. I was um, a sophomore 
in college right. at Fordham University, and it was a Friday, and I was in the sound room of the theater department soldering some equipment, um, and somebody came in, and they said Cobain's dead, and we immediately flipped on the radio, yeah, and we were just all in shock. It was your 9-11. <laughs> That's literally, that's how I heard about it. <laughs> was in sophomore year of high school. too. Like, Where yeah. were you? When, when Cobain died, I yeah. mean, again, I was eight years old. And so it yeah. didn't, I don't think it really, I was probably fucking, you know, watching Ninja Turtles or some shit. So it didn't really register all that much with yeah. me. I vaguely knew the name and the person who, yeah. like that for me, that kind of, that didn't really develop. And like, I didn't really learn about it until like much later. Really? I mean, yeah, I was, yeah. I was 90, what, 94, you said? 94, yeah, so you were yeah, nine. I was eight years old, yeah. Yeah, nine. Whatever, nine years, eight years old. Uh, let's nine keep the story old, consistent. You were nine. Okay. Um, so anyway, we're going to go back to the hotel room with, uh, with Tom Grant and Courtney. Yeah. And Courtney says, look, part. I called the credit card companies, and I know he bought two tickets on United Airlines. And Tom's like, where to? And they're like, they won't tell me. Um, Why is it two? I know he's cheating on me. Well, she says all they told me how much is is what he paid for him. But maybe he's going to go hang out with Michael again. Well, of course, Tom Grant says Michael who, and Courtney's like ah, Stipe, my, lead oh, singer my. of REM. Uh, so I'd kind of forgotten that uh, he and Stipe had been kind of collaborating at the time. Uh, and she's like, anyway, I figure he flies over there gets his guitar from Seattle, and then he's going to go down to Atlanta, but he had two tickets. But did he buy one for someone else? Oh, I think Kurt wants a divorce. And Knew Tom's it. like, why would you say that? And she's like, well, he left me a note in Rome and said he's leaving me. Now, the Rome incident happened mm. two weeks before. Right. So Tom says the subject of divorce came up every time we talked after that. Whenever Courtney referred to divorce, she would always say something like, if me and Kurt got into a divorce and it came to a custody battle, I'd win in a second. He wouldn't um, even put up but. a fight. Well, she also says the only way that a divorce is going to happen is if I bust him for infidelity. And Tom naturally says, you know, well, has he been unfaithful? Well, that's why she wanted the PI. And she says, yes, I think so. Mm. Well, Tom says Courtney on several occasions mentioned that she thought Kurt might be having an affair with Kristen Pfaff. Who's that? That was the bass player from Hole. Oh. And Courtney was jealous, and she also thought he might be having an affair with Caitlin. Now, Caitlin was Kurt's drug dealer in Seattle. Okay. And then Tom said she seemed to be very jealous of anybody that got near Kurt and wanted to know every little move that he made. Well, back to Courtney. She says, look, Tom, I planted a story in the news yesterday saying that i'd od'd and that i was in the hospital thinking kurt would get wind of this and be scared and call me i don't know i've got this huge record coming out in a week and i know the value but i didn't think about it when it first happened well we hear another uh conversation that's recorded directly from audio and courtney says all publicity is good publicity to a certain degree unless you're michael jackson mm -hmm. right <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, she also says, what do I tell this guy from the AP? Should I call and confirm it? And so the story goes out and says I was there. And Tom says, I'll tell you what. And this is just my gut instinct. I think you may end up regretting that you did it. Well, she says, if it goes in, 
And the rumor, you know, once you, somebody, you know, I can't deny it. And I could deny it all the way to the bank. And actually people will believe me if I deny it and then say he left. And when he left, I got depressed and had to be hospitalized for some sort of nervous breakdown. And then it appeared I attempted suicide. That way there's no drugs involved. And then I get the sympathy. I mean, how's that for a spin? The press always perceives me as just some completely tragic and fucked up anyway. I don't know. I'm having a record coming out, you know? So selfishly, it might help sell records. Mm -hmm. This is all on audio. I know. It's crazy. This is creepy, dude. Yeah. It's like you see how conniving she is. Yeah. Bro, I'll never forget seeing her on that fucking, that roast. Which her, roast? The roast of, um, what's that? bimbo's name fucking pamela anderson oh yeah yeah. Rose pamela that was anderson. one of the first big ones yeah yeah she was just a fucked up slut like fucking junky slut on that goddamn roast i hated her who on was it. it courtney hole it was courtney yeah courtney oh, yeah. love yeah okay. yeah and she was like on the dais yeah and like just bad you gotta remember she had a lot of heat on her at that point she was in that movie that milos foreman movie uh, people versus Larry Flint. <coughs> oh yeah, she's fucking Ed Nor Although, Norton at the time. I'll tell you one thing, I kind of really liked her in Man on the Moon. It's kind of kind of liked her in that in that movie. I mean, she she looked like she put a little weight on. You know, she was a little thick. She didn't. She never really came off as like a fucked up. I mean, obviously, she was probably you know yearning. You know, yeah. It's, that that is a, a fairly well a, well made film. It is. It is. Um, sad as fuck too. It is sad as fuck. Yeah, especially when Andy's like so dependent that he goes to uh, those fucking creepy doctors with the chicken heads. Yeah. You know, that yeah. pretend to pull out the tumors yeah. and shit. Yeah, when he sees it. Yeah. That's pretty fucked up. I mean, I like, but I do like like the like the subtle nuances of like, they don't really get too much into the family. There's that one scene in the doctor's room, you know, at the hospital, and they're like, He's not even wearing doctor's shoes. This is all fake. I'm yeah. like, damn, he must have really put one over the, that they just every single little thing. All right, let's go. Anyway, back to the audio between Tom and Courtney. Um, Tom says, you don't think he would ever find out that you were never in a hospital? And she's like, no, no one will tell him. I mean, the people that this is so unethical. The people that I do this, I paid. Well, Max, he's the journalist that wrote Love and Death, says, we were already convinced that Tom was sincere, that he believed what he was saying, and he certainly wasn't lying. He brought us into his office with a safe, opened the safe, and there was this trove of cassette tapes, just hours and hours of tapes. Then he starts playing us the tapes, and the facts were all there. Yeah. Now, we see this mound of tapes. So when Tom says, I record everything, he ain't lying. He's yeah. not just talking about phone calls. No. Nope. He's walking around with his shit in his, you know, oh, pocket. Fuck yeah, baby. So we're going to listen to another uh, recording. And Courtney Love says, with Kurt, it's like, well, fuck you. I don't want to be in Nirvana. You know, if Kurt wants to turn his nose up against $9.5 million at Lollapalooza when we could have fucking played Lollapalooza and got a cut. No, she's obviously referring to Hole. Fucking Hole, dude. And Tom says she just came across as very controlling and very, very angry. Courtney. And then I was able to talk to him and go, Kurt, I love you. And I'm going to support whatever you do. If you don't want to do Lollapalooza, that's fine. I could have done Lollapalooza this year and I was offered it first, but I gave that up so that Kurt could go out and make like nine, $10 million. And now he's fucking it all up. Well, Grant says something was going on that was out of the ordinary. And there was more to this than what I was being told. Well, Courtney says, 
I called Seattle police and I filed a missing persons report. And Tom says, did they ask when you were coming back? And according to Tom, she didn't file it in Courtney's name. She filed the missing report, person's report in the name of Wendy O'Connor. That's Cobain's mother. Oh, scary. Yeah. Well, Tom says, you're the only one that filed the missing persons report, right? And she says, yeah, and I'll totally come forward with that because people wouldn't take me seriously if I filed it under my own name. Well, Tom says, so all the media that went out there after that said Kurt's mother filed a missing report, missing persons report. That was totally false. And that's what we were all told. So on October 4th, this four days before they found Kurt, Cobain. Not October 4th. Excuse me, April 4th. Wendy O'Connor, today's October 4th. That's fucking weird. Filed a missing person's report on her son because he reportedly fled a quote-unquote facility, unquote. She did not clarify whether that was a drug treatment center or not, but that's what people at the time were speculating. She was worried about Kurt because he had a shotgun in his possession and she had considered him suicidal. And, you know, Courtney's like, well, that should get things going, right? And Tom's like, right. <laughs> what about Caitlin? This is Courtney. I know that they're well, that together. That should get things going, right? Oh, my God. Caitlin is the drug dealer. Yeah. And Tom's like, look, I got someone watching her apartment. He hasn't showed up there. I, w- I want to put somebody on your house because sooner or later, he's got to show up. Well, Courtney says, if Kurt's still in Seattle, he's hiding out. He's not going to be at the house. He likes to stay in hotels fancy hotels downtown and he uses the name simon ritchie or bill bailey okay go check out out on what are the what are the significance of those names is it like i haven't looked it like i was gonna say for part two is it like cable guy shit like fucking uh chip uh oh he goes he goes uh chip chipper not i don't remember no no chip chipperson's fucking norton's character you know what mine is well what chester copperpot Okay, cool. You know what that's from? No, the Goonies. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. No, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones. They had some. He had some good ones. Chip Dale. I don't remember. By the way, the thing that really struck me when I was watching this is it still legal for people to call and say, "Hey, is this person staying at the hotel?" And if they registered, are you technically by law supposed to say yes? Oh, I that I don't know. I mean, I think they just say it. I think that trick is to just be like, hey, let me get in touch with uh, Chip Bailey yeah. or whatever the fuck the guy's name is. Bill Bailey. Bill Bailey. Yeah. Well, and they're like, do you know what room he's staying in? <laughs> usually. Yeah. That's usually what they ask. They're like, my nah. point is, if I'm registered at a hotel and I don't want anybody knowing I'm there and I don't use a fake name because they know my card and all that stuff. I mean, I think you can tell them, like, do not disturb me if, under any circumstances. Sure, you could say that, but are you allowed to say you're not allowed to tell I don't me know. that I'm here? Actually, I don't know. I don't know what their rules are. Yeah. I well, think they're, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Tom. I guess maybe for that, that purpose of, you know, missing persons thing, like right. maybe they are required to do something like that. Well, Tom says, I want to send one of our guys over to see if it's Kurt. And she said, Courtney says, no, 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 no. I don't want Kurt to know that I'm looking for him. Right. Send somebody over there. Just have them watch the hotel. Oh, okay. Boy. And Tom's like, okay. I don't like this. I, it's, I know. So he says, Tom says 15 or 20 minutes went by. And then we see, uh, you know, the actor print playing yeah, Tom Grant. Yep. And he says, what do you mean you called the hotel? I thought you said that you didn't want Kurt. And she said, no, Tom, 
and he says, listen, if he's not there, then I think we need to set up a team at the Lake Washington house. Now that's Cobain's house. And she says, it's a waste of time, Tom. Do you think she's trying to keep him away from the house long enough so that like the incident that she's planning has already happened? The thought occurred to me. The thought occurred to me. What a slut. You know what? He's not going to be there. That's what Courtney says. And then Tom says, is there a reason you don't want surveillance on your house? And she says, yes, because we don't need it. Callie is there. Tell him. He'll tell me if Kurt's there. Now, Callie is Michael Callie DeWitt. Well, he was the live-in nanny for Francis Bean. And Callie had also previously dated Courtney Love. Okay? Okay. So think about this situation. It's a fucking circle of junkies. (laughs) Pretty much. It's just an orgy of junks. But it's... (laughs) Orgy of junkers. Yeah, dude. But my point is, if you're Cobain and your, your wife is using a nanny that's a smack addict, that's her ex-boyfriend, don't you just be like, yeah, yeah I mean, come on. This probably isn't yeah. the best idea. Yeah. Well, earlier that day, Tom Grant, Grant, excuse me, he's on the phone talking to Courtney, and Courtney says that she didn't trust Callie, okay? And she said, Callie's one of the best liars she's ever met, but now all of a sudden, she tells me he won't tell anybody. Well, let's go to Wednesday, April 6th. Oh, shit. Callie's a dude? <laughs> yeah. Even grosser. I forgot. Yeah. That's right. Dated Courtney Love. That's right. That's right. That's right. So it's Wednesday, April 6th, 1994, two days before the body. Dude, junkie. Hold up. Junkie nanny man. Mm-hmm. It's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. I guess. Janny, bro. I guess if like, I guess if you Johnny. were, if you were in fear of somebody hurting your child, you might want to have a male presence around. Yeah, that's on, got a needle in his arm. Mm-hmm. They're always quick to fucking, you know. Sting in my room <laughs> with a needle in my hand. All right. Well, Tom says, and this is a conversation he's having with Courtney, a reenactment. He says, I'm not as effective as you are here. I'm not as effective for you here as I would be if I went up there. So I want to move the entire search to Seattle. I know guys, you know, uh, out there i got local guys and if i could be there i could move them along and she's like fine just go and he's like great uh well then we hear a woman who's in the background at the drug den at the peninsula yeah she's like why don't you go up the there DJ den. <laughs> and she goes because i can't i've got business to take care of right well tom says look i'd appreciate it if you didn't tell anybody i was going up there if anybody knows and the word gets out they might tell kurt and he could flee Right. And she says, absolutely perfect. Great idea. And he's like, well, I'm getting, I'm heading out. And she goes, yeah. save the American icon, Tom. Oh, my God. And then kind of just shuts the door. What an insufferable slut, dude. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, Tom says he's getting ready to fly to Seattle. And Courtney had then told him about Dylan Carlson, Kurt's best friend. And right. she says, Dylan knew all the hangouts. He knew the house really well. And Kurt was best friends with dylan so I thought he didn't have any friends well and exactly not many apparently but now we go to a portrayal where tom and uh dylan are hanging out and by the way one thing i have to add here and it's very well done every scene you see it's raining <laughs> every fucking scene okay whether it's the reenactments yeah or the people in real life they're always interviewed in a room 
with a, a slanted uh, window and the rain's just coming down. Wow. Now, they, there's no way they got this lucky. I know Seattle rains a lot. Yeah. But they obviously did this for effect. And it's, it. it's very cool. That's cool. So Tom sits down with Dylan and he's like, so what are you thinking, Dylan? Is he suicidal? And Dylan's like, he's smacked out. But even he perks up a bit. He's like, no, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it's like a dog on volume yeah he's like he's been under a lot of pressure but he's handling things pretty good (laughs) i mean (laughs) i mean i know he and courtney have been having troubles lately but i know i know why kurt married her He's, he's like passing out in his pie at the fucking God. you know diner. Uh, well, Tom's like they don't get along. They don't agree about anything. They're always fighting. So, and, in your opinion, is the guy smacked out all the time? Yes, this guy. Yeah, you're talking about Dylan yes. or whatever. Yeah, Dylan's smacked out all the yeah, time. That's all why he's falling asleep. Time. Obviously, he, I'm exaggerating, but clearly, yeah. you know, he's dozing. He does doze, but he just kind of perks up when he's like, "No, he wasn't suicidal, bro." Right, right, right. right. So, you know, Tom says. You know, why are they always fighting? And then, you know, he says, what about Rome? Didn't anybody, you know, say that he might have been trying to kill himself then? And Dylan's like, bro, that was an accident. Everybody knows that. Well, I remember in the time, the papers, you know, the papers, that's what we had back then. Right. They reported extra, extra. (laughs) I remember thinking it was reported as uh, a possible OD suicide attempt. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Kurt was not suicidal and Dylan is very serious. And he says it was almost a joke to him. It was like, no, of course he's not suicidal, dude. And, you know, Tom says, if I'm thinking he's as suicidal as he is, then why would she have let him buy a shotgun? And again, Dylan says he's not suicidal. We bought right. the shotgun the day before uh, the day he went to rehab because there'd been a burglary at a house next door. And the police thought, you know, oh, excuse me, the police had just confiscated Kurt's gun. So I got the new one and I registered it in my name. Oh. Trust me, if he was suicidal, I would never let him get a shotgun. Now they don't go into details as to why Kurt's gun, his old gun was confiscated which Mm. i thought a little interesting could be drug stuff maybe yeah maybe okay time to get uh one of my favorite voices from the 80s and 90s involved kurt loader mtv oh fucking kurtie loads singer kurtie love uh courtney love says cobain had written a suicide note to her which he said in part it's not fun for me anymore i can't live this life well max wallace the writer of love and death he says there was a mythology that, oh, yeah, everybody knew he was suicidal. It was so obvious. So it was no big surprise when he killed himself. And then you go to the closest to him, the people that knew him best, and none of them believed he was suicidal. Yeah. Back to Mitch, his best friend. He's the best childhood friend, I should say. He said, I never heard Kurt talk about suicide or anything. He always seemed happy. He was quiet, shy, but he never hinted to me that he was depressed. Uh, another one says his music and lyrics kind of portrayed a darker side to some emotions, but that got glorified. Well, Max says people start to analyze the lyrics and look at some of the things he wrote. And of course, look at what he wrote here. I mean, obviously he's talking about suicide. Now they refer to the song Kurt wrote called 
I hate myself and I want to die. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty funny. Fun fact, by the way, I hate myself and I want to die. Yeah, it was recorded and it was supposed to go on in utero and it never did. Mm. I did not know that until I watched this. Did it ever? What album did yeah, it go on? It, they when they released the box set, um, oh, so all alone like, in the dark. Oh, or with the lights out. I think it was as already after you died. Oh yeah, yeah, that was posture. Ah, so it's just fucking sure. money grab. Yeah, yeah, fucking. But that they're like, oh, well, it's uh, it's too. We can't release this in the album now. But like after he's dead, he's like, I'm just fucking release this shit. Who cares? It's over under time on the show. All right. What do you Favorite think? Under. What do you think? Um, I'll set it. Okay. At five hundred million. What do you think? How much he was worth his, at the time when he died? I'll set it at five hundred million. We uh, go over go or under. under. Okay. Well, we'll get to that. And if I don't, you know what to do. Yep. Well, Kurt says, I'm tired of people, this is in an interview, thinking, uh, trying to put too much meaning into my lyrics. He's like, dude, I'm lazy. He's like, sometimes I just write them at the last minute. And then I have to come up with explanations. For <laughs> that, this this is like fucking that Dana Carvey skit. It seems like some of these rock stars, they're, they're really just writing it. They're extremely tried. They're writing it in, this, in the moment. It's like, just cold as ice. <laughs> Paradise. Was that from SNL? That, that was from the Chop of Broccoli song. Oh, that was the Chop of oh yeah. Chop of Broccoli. Chop of Broccoli. Okay, so anyway, fun fact, by the way, I was uh, YouTubing last night, and I saw the original audition tape for Dana Carvey for mm. SNL. Oh, me too. Go look at it. Yeah. Hartman's on there. Yep. He destroys it. He destroys. It. And then <laughs> John Belushi was so on good. there. I think Hartman is the best of all time. Uh, I mean, Hartman, this is one of the saddest stories ever. Yeah. Uh, by the way, we need a doc on Hartman. So if you listeners out there Ooh. know of a doc on Hartman, please too let much, us know. Too dark know. of a story. Yeah. So anyway, Max says, you know, uh, the pain... In his stomach, that was a big thing. And, you know, he said that uh, it made him want to kill himself. He did talk like that. There's no question. But once it was diagnosed, it was treated and the pain went away. So we actually see an interview with Kurt where they're like, how's your stomach pain? And he's like, yeah, it's all gone. You know, and he's like, yeah, I'm finally on the right medicine. But I was in pain for six years and now I don't have that problem now. Now, I always remember hearing that too that he had this massive amount of stomach pain. There were lyrics from the, you know, the pit of my stomach. Yeah. And I always ex assumed that he was just doing smack because of the pain. But it sounds to me like this could have been a little bit overblown as well mm -hmm. because he finally got, the, you know, on the right, right meds. So imagine, we, imagine, imagine like in his 60s, Kurt Cobain being like the spokesperson for like Pepto Bismol or something like You're that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kurt Cobain. <laughs> I used to do uh, smack and have stomach pains. But acid, now, indigestion, <laughs> diarrhea. Upset stomach, <laughs> diarrhea. By the way, it, it just, just seems like a grungy version of that. Upset stomach, <laughs> diarrhea. 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 By the way, it blows my mind that we have commercials where people say the word diarrhea. That's pretty funny. Isn't it just a little too much? Yeah. Can you just Dave then repeat she repeats it in that in that song. She goes, Diarrhea. Diarrhea. Like yeah. she fucking imagine being a classically trained goddamn yeah. musician. You're like, you just, all right. Can you, I got paid seventy five thousand dollars to sing diarrhea songs. Can you go a little bit higher on the Rhea part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah we, we want we want Dia at A, but we want Rhea we at, really at wanna, a G. If you could really just uh, run with the Rhea part. Yeah. Well, you know, Max says, 
of course you vibrato hear. please vibrato <laughs> max says of course you hear courtney spinning this whole elaborate timeline and how he tried to commit suicide before and he was talking about suicide to everybody he knew and that just seems to be fiction well Lodsky's, he says rather chillingly love says that the three of cobain's uncles had also committed suicide <laughs> she calls it the cobain curse eh. now i don't recall this eh. but We've got some information as to uh. what really happened. So Mitch, his best friend from Aberdeen, he says, here's how it all broke. three of these men dated Courtney Love. <laughs> <laughs> here's the history. Leland Cobain's father. Okay. Um, that's, I guess, Cobain's great grandfather. He was a, a, a cop and he went into a bar one day and he sits down in a bar stool. This is in 1938. Well, his gun got dislodged from his holster oh shit it's the ground and according to the report oh, shit. he looked around and he said hey is everybody all right and then all of a sudden he just falls to the floor no <laughs> yeah that's fucking hilarious what a way to go and <laughs> never had to fight the nazis yeah you're clear bro <laughs> you're in heaven Christ, and he just fell down at the bar that's hilarious now according to what leland has told uh, about his brother his brother was drinking and fell asleep and fell down a staircase and uh, just died from complications yeah. from that. <laughs> so technically, neither Kurt's great-grandpa or his great-uncle were suicides. Now, we see the old news. fucking slut, dude. <laughs> we see the old newspaper clippings, and it says, deputy killed by his own revolver. Oh, no. So, yeah. Deputy Cobain. Fucking Jesus Christ, <laughs> Deputy dude. fucking... What's the one from fucking Barney Fife? I mean, he's like the fucking cop that couldn't shoot straight. Yeah. Well, Max says one of the important elements to the in the case and in convincing the world that it was suicide was the so-called Rome suicide attempt. Loads geese. Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain, who slipped into a coma and was hospitalized in Rome about 6 a.m. Oh. this morning, was in a state of what his management calls complete collapse. His condition was apparently aggravated when he consumed champagne on top of the prescription painkiller Rohypnol. Uh -huh. So they're even, I don't even think they knew what Rohypnol was at the yeah. time. It's a sedative. I mean, I guess it's like, you know. So it's like a lewd. Yeah, it was a great, great, great comparison. Yeah. So, but I mean, if I, I thought about this, I didn't know what Rohypnol Kurt Luder. was. Kurt <laughs> Luder. <laughs> Lodsky Lutz. <laughs> but I think about it, it's like, when did you first hear about the term date rape? I didn't know what a date rape drug was in 90s. In high school, it was GHB. Right, but what year was high school for you? For me, 2001 to 2004. Right. This is 294. I, I know. I didn't know what a roofie yeah. was in 90s. There was gone by then. It, well, it was outlawed. I mean, ru it. roofie itself is Rufalin. It's, a, it's, it's another. Hypnol. Is it though? Yes. I guess the Rufalin is That's just where a fake thing, from. huh? I guess well, it's or a maybe fake it's another uh, type brand of name. Rufy. Why do they keep seeing that? Yeah. Shouldn't they call them Flories? Probably. <laughs> that's from that's from um, The Hangover. I didn't know, but I just went along with you. Cool. So Max says, now at the time, the word suicide was never even used in the media uh, by Courtney, by Kurt. Um, it was portrayed as an accidental drug overdose. So I okay. So I guess I'm remembering wrong. It, okay. it was they were just like yeah, it was an accidental overdose. Now obviously when you know somebody uh, uh, loves smack accidentally yeah, ODs, yeah, you yeah. can kind of take it. And you just heard his album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? and, well, I mean, and also everybody's gonna report something a little bit different. Well, you know he, what I mean, yeah, 
where he recovered from the coma and his publicist said the incident was so damn he was actually wasn't in a coma or was that oh bullshit? dude it was a huge deal i mean how long was he in a coma it was a coma. couple days if i recall coma coma but we we're all huh? be like wow. god i hope kurt oh, pulls shit. out of this so max says as soon as kurt died the first interviews that Courtney gave, she started talking about previous suicide attempts. Right. And so said priming. Right. But she's saying Rome was a suicide attempt. And she started telling people that Kurt swallowed 60 pills. Now, obviously, if you swallow 60 pills, that's not an accident. That's a suicide attempt. Now, side note, Dave, I don't know if this is true, but somebody told me if you want to OD on pills, and you don't have good pills, if you take 100 of any pill, you die. Is that just an urban legend? Um, I mean, if you've never taken any oxys and you took 100 oxys, yeah, you probably Yeah, obviously. Die. I'm just but, saying, like, can you take 100 aspirin and die? But uh, no. You don't think so? No. 200? Uh, no. You'd, I, and you'd, obviously, I'm excluding you'd, fish oil you'd pills. Probably, you'd probably throw up before anything. And then right. and then on top of that, they say it's it's not also not a good... Well, it's not... It's not... Apparently, it's, they, these days, they can pump your stomach pretty quickly now yeah, yeah, yeah so it's like you know there's not a whole lot that's gonna really get gonna i happen. had my stomach pumped once uh-huh yeah yeah well, okay no i didn't have it pumped uh-huh no i did okay i ate i can't remember what i ate but i had my mom, this like i had this really bad shellfish no, i remember my mom said you had your stomach pump when you were a kid maybe oh, it was my oh, dad because oh. he did too many drugs oh maybe now here's the thing i do remember um when i was a kid you have those memories that stick with you for life. Yep. Remember those little gumball machines? Yep. Where you would put in a quarter and you get a toy? Yep. I got one and it was a fake tooth. Oh, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> all I need, right? With my huge choppers. That's hilarious. And I put it on. Yeah. And it was just and like a single tooth. Yeah. It went over your like yeah. eye teeth and I swallowed it. Yeah. I was probably like five or six. And they, they pumped your stomach for no, it? No, my mom went, um, uh, she checked my shit. Yeah. <laughs> for how many days? <laughs> I remember she had a fork. <laughs> and she's like, there it is, you're alive. <laughs> so anyway. Um, Did you guys reuse the fork? <laughs> I think she threw it out. Did she? There's no way she remembers that. So um, anyway, they contacted the doctor in Rome and he categorically denied that there were 60 pills in his stomach or that it was a suicide attempt. So again, at the time, Kurt and Courtney both had said it was an accident at the time, and the doctor confirmed this. So there's no evidence that he'd ever tried to kill himself before. So the point is the world just took it as Courtney's word after Kurt died. So we're going to go back to another recording of, of uh, Love and Grant. And Courtney says he got really depressed and he wrote basically a suicide note. Right There's, now, okay, I have no idea if any of this is mm -hmm. true right here, but yeah. I have had this strange inkling yep. that that letter that he uh -huh. wrote for for her in Rome yeah. is the letter that she kind of tries to pass off as a suicide note. You're close. Interesting. There's a lot. Ooh, this is getting good. There's a lot of stuff. Because I've never heard the actual story. I've only listened to bits and pieces of it like through right. podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, where they kind of dive into a slight, like pretty deep, right? But not like you know. Trust like me, that, not like that's going to be part two. Yeah, we're going to. I've got a forensic. Um, oh boy. Uh, uh, what do you call them? People that do the penmanship and shit. Oh yeah, the yeah. Uh, autograph, uh, the analyst. forensic handwriting, handwriting analyst. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to get to that uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway. Um, Courtney says there's no real other way he claims he was 
he, he was leaving me. And well, Tom says, do you still have the notes, the note from Rome and the original note here? And she's like, yeah, well, I also gave it to detective Cameron and then he gave it back to me and the note from Rome. He said, if I were you, I would destroy this. It's not going to do you any good. Well, Tom's like, why would somebody tell you to get rid of that? And she says, because it really wasn't nice. It talked about us getting a divorce. Well, let's go to Thursday, April 7th, 1994, one day before Kurt's body is found. So we see Dylan and uh, Tom, and they're looking for Kurt. And Tom says, while I was in Seattle with Dylan, we're driving around. I mentioned to him that Courtney said that Kurt only stays in the best hotels. And he was incredulous. He started laughing. He said, that's ridiculous. He hates fancy hotels. He only stays in cheap places. He's, she's, she's fucking trying to keep him off the scent. Correct. Fuck. Mostly along the Aurora Strip. Well, Aurora. then in the portray- portrayal, we see Dylan say, hey, I got to call Courtney and check in. And Tom says, Dylan told me that when they stayed in these motels, they usually stayed for two or three weeks, basically living off Coca-Cola and potato chips yeah. and doing their heroin. Fuck yeah. Courtney always wanted to go through Dylan. She wanted to talk to Dylan on the phone and have Dylan give me the instructions. Just the boys been the boys, huh? <laughs> what do you got? Uh, the boys. What's the plan for this weekend? Yeah. I got Cheetos and fucking black tar. Yeah. We ain't leaving until we finish everything. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this case of Coca-Cola. Yeah. And <laughs> those junkies love their sweets, bro. Yeah, I know that's that's why the cherry pie when he was eating it, I'm like, ah, this fucking junkie. Oh, He's yeah, yeah. Cherry pie. Well, he doesn't want to order a fucking Dylan. He doesn't want to order a coffee to wake his at to to bring him down. Buddy, <laughs> that's like fucking ordering a $30 steak yeah. to kill your fucking $80 fucking buzz I at know. the bar. I know. Well, Dylan says Courtney had some trouble. She was in the hospital and she got arrested. She said, now keep in mind, this is the portrayal. She said that it was all a big mistake and she's fine. She wants us to go back to the house and look for the shotgun again. She thinks it might be in a hidden compartment in the bedroom closet. Well, Tom says she she hadn't mentioned that to us before, but she said that's where Kurt keeps the shotgun. So it's there. That's where it's going to be. So he's like, why don't you tell us that the fuck the first time? So they drive back to the Cobain home. And when they arrive, they find a two-page handwritten letter at the bottom of the stairs. And Tom looks at Dylan and he says, do you remember this from last night? Because remember last night, they were looking for Kurt. Fuck. And it's right there where everybody would see it. Yeah. And Dylan's like, no. And Tom, you can tell. So this is the second time in two days they've been at the house now. Yeah. But now they're like, was this fucking piece of paper here yesterday? Fucking bitch. Well, the note apparently had been written by Callie. Okay. Whoa. And according to Tom, it didn't make sense. Kurt, this is the note. I can't believe you managed to be in this house without me noticing. You're a fucking asshole. Oh, shit. For not calling Courtney and at least letting her know that you're okay. She's in a lot of pain, Kurt. And this morning, she had another accident. Now she's at the hospital again. Well, Tom says, we looked into the little compartment and there was no shotgun. Now, back to Tom Grant. She's your wife. She loves you. And you have a child together. Get it together 
or at least tell her you're okay. He's quoting from the letter. Or she's going to die. It's not fair, man. Do something now. Well, Tom later then says, I talked to Rosemary Carroll about it, and I told her I was suspicious of it, and she jumped in right away, and she knows Callie really well, too. Well, Rosemary Carroll is the family's attorney, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, So we hear Tom and Rosemary talking, and Tom says... Why does she know Callie really well? Because she's been around since the beginning. She's the only one that didn't do junk and apparently got a law degree. Okay, there's always one. So, oh, okay. So Tom Grant says, and he's on the phone with Rosemary, he says, when I picked up that note and read it, it sounded phony to me. Mm. It sounded like a setup letter. Rosemary mm-hmm. says, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Now, That's again, what it sounds like to me too. this is a conversation that Tom's recorded, so this is verbatim. Yeah. Tom, when I first found the letter, I had no doubt that Callie had written it, but it still looked strange to me. You know, the letter just didn't make sense. It looked phony. And she says it was not written by, it wasn't a sincere letter. I, I mean, I seems like she was forced him to write it, possibly. Mm -hmm. And Rosemary says, I mean, I thought Callie wrote it because he knew that Kurt was dead. Okay. Uh, Yeah, a little interesting. Now, side note, just to speak to Rosemary Carroll's character in this entire situation, not only is she the family lawyer, she's also the godmother to Francis Bean Cobain. Mm -hmm. Now, let's go to the day of the body. The true heir to the money. (laughs) That's something I hadn't considered, (laughs) or at least somebody who controls the estate. So let's go to the day of the murder. Yeah. So. Whoa. Yeah. You said murder. Well, you're you're right. The day of the body. Did I just say that? You said murder. Wow, Freudian You said murderer. Let's go to the day of the body. Was <laughs> Murdler's discovered. row, baby. <laughs> you know what's up. Yeah, I got your papa. So Tom says, Dylan and I. I get it, man. We're heading out to a town of, called Carnation outside of Seattle. Kurt and Courtney own two cabins there. And we thought, you know, maybe there's some evidence of Kurt being there. Well, we get halfway, we stop and get gas, and Dylan makes another phone call. Well, interject voice of Bruce Williams, the supervisor of Vecca Electric. Wow. He's the electrician. He says, I got the, or one of the electricians that was associated with the electrical, electrical company that mm-hmm. found the body. Mm-hmm. He says, I got a phone call from our electrician, Gary Smith, and he was doing some security lighting. We had a house out of, look, we just knew it was a rock star in Seattle, and we weren't sure didn't know who he was. He literally just stumbled across it. He looked through a doorway, a glass door, a locked door, and he saw the body and he said, I think he shot himself. So I called the radio station to tell him what happened. Oh, fuck. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Exactly. I mean, I hopefully he called the police That's first. That's my question. You think he called the radio station first? They don't say. But I would obviously call the police. Dude, there's some so many sketchy things going on here. There's a lot going on. Jesus. But obviously, if you're in that situation, here's the thing. You obviously know the body's dead. And maybe he was like, I want to capitalize on this so we can sell more home security systems. I guess. <laughs> you know? Jesus. Uh, hey, I'm Gary at Vecca Electric. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Who yeah. Who fucking knows? Well... Marty Heimer, he's the Seattle disc jockey. He says, I answered the call and there's a guy on the end of the line and he's going, I've got incredible news here. So back to Tom, they're getting gas with Dylan and um, Tom or Dylan comes back to the car and Tom's like, so what do you got? And he's like, 
uh, keep in mind he's on heroin. A friend of mine just said uh, they found a body at Kurt's house. And Tom's like, what? Oh, shit. Well, again, the announcements go wide and everybody immediately knows that it's Kurt Cobain. Yeah. So Tom, he hears this news on the radio going in the opposite direction of Kurt's um, house yeah. because he's been told to go search the cabins yeah. far away from the house. <sighs> and he Man. says, when I heard that the body was found in a room that was referred to as the greenhouse, I turned to Dylan and I said, what's the greenhouse? And he said, it's just a dirty little room above the garage. They stored lumber or something in there. And it sounded to me like this was just some kind of broom closet or something. Well, obviously, we know it's not. Yeah, it's like a fucking, like a chill spot. Yeah, it's like be, a fucking heroin where, room. It's, <laughs> it's literally what it is, dude. It's a garden, a greenhouse, where you would obviously go do heroin yeah, if you... Like, if you didn't want to be in the house. The birds and the bees. Well, I'm sure Dylan and uh, had right. done heroin in there before with Kurt. Sure, sure, I mean, sure, you sure. see the house, bro? Yeah. It's pretty hard to miss. Yeah. That's the first thing you think of. You know? But, oh, really? But keep in mind, Dylan was the one that brought Tom there. Yeah, okay? There's some stinky cheese going on over here. So the radio interviewer says, I so you didn't think he... He intentionally did not tell you to check the room out. And this is an interview that Tom had done with a, a well after with an interviewer. And he says, I hope the listener bears in mind, we're going to skip over an awful lot of stuff. So Gary Smith, he says, I glanced down on the floor and I saw something that looked like a mannequin. Great movie, by the way. Never seen it. I see blood in his ear. I like long, mannequin too. That's the only one I know about <laughs> I see blood in his hair and long hair and immediately got shaken. Now, yeah. they also interview a, a first responder by the name of John Fisk. There's French doors, okay, that are in front. Okay, he that's says, the type that like have like the slats in them so you can kind like of see my doors. and you like, open up the... Like my, my yeah, doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. Double, 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 doors. double doors. Yeah, I'm classy. I got French doors. Yeah. So the French door, he says they're locked. And I first, uh, I was first in and right away... You can see it was a fatality. The shotgun was in his lap, a significant pool of blood by his head, and there was obviously nothing we could do for him. So we didn't touch the body. Um, we'll check for mail or something, find his name. And then the officer said to him, do you want the name? And, you know, he says, knowing I need it for my logbook, I said, yeah. And he said, well, it's Cobain. It's Kurt Cobain. And a couple of second delay, and my head snapped, and I said, you mean the rock star? Now, no, this is important. When they opened up Kurt's wallet, they pulled out the ID. Okay? Right. I had always heard a million times that Kurt opened it up and left his ID out as a sign of, this is who I am. This is a suicide. That right. never occurred. I never even knew that was like a thing. Oh, it was a huge piece of information. Uh, is media, that like a thing that like, oh, yeah, that yeah, like the media people ran with it? And we're but like, no, but, no, but what I mean is like, it was like previously before that, was that like a thing people who committed yeah, yeah, yeah. suicide would do? Well, I guess it's just to make it easy on the cops. I guess so. You know, so, but I always remember that that was the new. Well, I'm going to blow my head off. So I might as well give him a picture. Yeah. As if you give a fuck at that point. Yeah. Well, according to Loader at the time, Lodsky says, um, it, it was so severe that his body could only be identified by fingerprints. And a reporter says police can't release the mm. details. Yeah. Um, 
around the note. But over the past couple of years, Cobain has had some rough times. Cobain was 27. He joins a growing list of rock stars who burn bright, then burn out tragically. And of course, by doing so, at this age, he joins what, Dave? The um, 27 Club. Now, fun times. Okay. How many 27 Club members can you name? I mean, there's what? James Dean, right? <laughs> no. Isn't that James Dean died was, at 27? I think he was 25. Okay. Well, then there's definitely Morrison. Yes. Okay. The, the goat of 27. Right. Like if he's the leader, yes. it's Jim at the top. Yes. He had horns on his head. Correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go easy. Um, That's one. Don't I look at my really, list. I only really know Amy Winehouse. That's correct. You got three. Uh, was, was, dude, did, did. Lane died nah, on the he was same, in his 30s. but he died on the same day as Cobain. I don't recall just a few that. years later, April fourth or eighth. I think it, was, I think it April, was in April, April but not the same day. No, okay. We not gotta, only that, we got to look at that real quick. Lane's death will never be thirty-two, truly, maybe. No, no, yeah, I think it was thirty-two. Here's the thing: they'll never know his true date because when they found him, his body only weighed sixty pounds, Ugh. and he'd been in there for a long time. So I don't think they were ever. I think he was gone for two weeks when they found him. Anyway, any other ones you could think of? I. I mean, what's the guy? I can't remember. What about um, System of a Down or <laughs> no. nobody? They're still alive. None of your idols died? No, no. No? What mm. about the, your cor- the corn guy you like? I don't like corn. Okay. okay. Did he die at 20? No, I'm just I don't know. Cur- I'm curious. I mean, no, they're so all alive. Here's the big ones that you got to remember. Brian Jones. April 5th, 20, 2002. Yeah. Brian Jones. Okay, Brian Jones. That's the guy from the Eagles. Eh. Uh, no? A little band called the Rolling Stones. Oh, Stones, Stones, fuck. Okay, Drown. Oh, I'm thinking of Brian Walsh, who's still alive. You're thinking of Joe Walsh from the Eagles. Oh, fuck. My Maserati does yeah. 180. By the way, I've seen Joe Walsh. My Maserati <laughs> does 185. I, I got my into license, a wreck. And now, now I, I don't drive. drive. That's the Dana Carvey version yeah, okay. of doing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've seen Joe Walsh in concert. Wait, how old was Farley when he died? uh 30s oh. 33 okay, maybe never mind. <laughs> never mind uh okay you're missing a, a couple i don't know i don't know yeah you're missing one of the big ones okay Jimi hendrix handy mm-hmm. bo bandy janice joplin oh fuck janny jobs dude that that woodstock that fucking first woodstock dude was she Wait, a woodstock the first one yeah she was supposed to perform friday night uh-huh she didn't perform until noon Saturday morning because Got a little it was, too no, just too crazy. Like they just they're backed up behind a little bit. Okay, they're behind about nine hours. Uh, you know who the first performer at Woodstock was? No, I don't know. I don't remember. It'd be Richie Havens. Aha. Uh-huh. Wait, did Hendrix do Woodstock? I'm thinking of Santana actually. Yeah, Hendrix was played the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock. Okay, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're not going to well, talk about uh, obviously not 99. The first one. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah, I go. Uh, one other notable on the list. By the way, I did Google the list. Okay. There's like 70 names on this list. Wow. I only knew the one that like, I'm speaking yeah, of. 10 or... Yeah. yeah. Well, one's like, hey, it's the Japanese uh, <laughs> uh, drummer from the <laughs> fucking... My, my, Hello I want to know. I mean, they, it, unless they died from drug overdoses, I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, Robert Johnson, famed blues guitarist. Okay. The one that supposedly sold his soul to the devil. Ah. Uh, to learn, to, to learn play, play the fiddle? Yeah. Now, here's this... Check this out. Soul my soul to the devil. Guess uh, which I'll uh, I'll just tell you. Okay. Bassist of Hole, Kristen Pfaff. 
She also died at 27. Uh-huh. It was, she was younger than Cobain. She was 27. But I'm saying she was younger than him. So she like died, she, did. she died like a couple months later. Oh, boy. And nobody talked about it. And that because was because she missed she, her boy. She got overshadowed. Yeah. But remember, Courtney yeah. had suspicions. That they were fucking. That they were fucking. Yeah. yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. I, mean, I wonder her what her uh, well, dosage was. Did she we, die from overdose? Yeah. From heroin? Yeah. Ron. Oh, boy. Out. Did she have three times? The, or by that time, Courtney was like, don't put so much this time. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be able to talk to her and talk some shit before she passes out. <coughs> or else this whole thing's bullshit. <laughs> well, the note, as you'll recall, was it had a red pen stuck through it in a planter, like in a potted plant with dirt in it. Okay. Now, they don't mention that for some reason, uh, but it always drives me crazy because they show something and they don't tell what's going on. I think about that note and it's like, boom, that's a pretty emphatic way to fucking go out. You stick a fucking pen right in the middle of it and stick it in a planner, which of course is what, Dave? Uh, uh, what? I don't know. A plant symbolizes life, dirt, oh. Oh. rebirth. Okay. And of course, it's also where we end up. Uh, so okay. I can't believe nobody's ever noticed or All pointed right. out this fact. That's, that's how I take it. So you're trying to like say like that's... Like Somebody Cobain's would, way of being, maybe that was. Here's the thing. Uh, I think that's what Cobain would have done. Oh, shit. Somebody knew that's how I show that it's Cobain, wow. whether it was Kurt or somebody else. Now, back wow. to Tom. He says when he arrived at the property, it's broad, uh, broad daylight, and the greenhouse just struck out like a sore thumb to us. You could street, see it from the street uh, above the bushes. It was so tall. I just didn't understand why Dylan didn't point that out to me when they were previously there. So they show up. The police people are all there. And Dylan's like, he's on smack. He's like, that's entertainment tonight. There's Rolling Stone. Um, and Tom says, Dylan didn't like the press. And he said, Kurt hated the press. And Dylan's like, oh, that's current affair. Don't go near those guys. And Tom goes up, dun, to, dun. The, Tom, Tom goes up to the cops. Police line, right? And he's like, I'm Tom Grant. Um, you know, how are you? Cops like, I'm fine. Well, Tom says, look, I was hired by Courtney Love to investigate the disappearance of her husband. I've got information I think could be helpful to you guys. Can I speak to the, um, the DIC, which is what? The dick. The dick in charge. Uh, yeah. Detective in charge. Give me well, that dick. The cop's like, hold on. Let me go talk to him. Well, he comes back over and he says, you know what? He says he's too busy for you right now. Come back to the station at 3 p.m. and you can talk to him. Mm -hmm. Well, Tom's incredulous. He's dumbfounded. You know, he says, if I'm a police officer and I see a dead body and somebody walks up to the actual scene where the dead body is and says, I was in this house the night before, I'd say, yeah, can I talk to you? I like, think, right I think fucking we now? 500 million reasons why. Well, he says, you don't let somebody like me go. You don't take the chance until you've fully investigated the case and determined positively how this person died. The Seattle Police Department claimed they were investigating this as a possible homicide at the time. If they were, they certainly wouldn't allow somebody to leave when they'd been in the house the night before a dead body was found on the property. Right. Now, time to meet Norm Stamper. Hell of a name, by the way. Chief of Police in Seattle from 94 to 2000. He says, I'm Norm Stamper. I was on the force for 34 years, last six from 94 to 2000 as the chief. I wouldn't pretend that there aren't 
police officers, police officers who are cynical and suspicious and skeptical. That was the case in the Cobain death. Now, we see a title come up called A Rush to Judgment. Now, you know who Cyril Wecht is, right? No. Dude, if you've ever watched any murder show or any Dateline okay. episode, when they need the top fucking guy who hangs out with dead bodies, it's Cyril Wecht. Okay. Okay? He's done Kennedy's body. Oh, that faggot. This guy already smells <laughs> dirty to me. Get out of here. He's done Martin Luther the King. Okay, another conspiracy. Oh done. my god! He's oh worked on Presley, god. Elvis, okay, Marilyn Monroe. Oh Jesus Christ! So you're, what you're telling me right now? Yeah, this man. Yeah, is literally the establishment stooge. Fucking uh, uh, this guy also probably did Epstein's fucking body. It's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> fucking bullshit. Now, if you no, know Cyril, wait, he didn't. He didn't actually do Epstein's body though. Did I he? don't think so. Okay. If you know Cyril, he always talks like this. He's like over the past fifty years. As a medical, as a Jew, uh, probably. Ah. As a medical, <laughs> legal, forensic pathologist ah. consultant, I've been involved. He's very staccato voice. Yeah, I've been involved in thousands of cases, about eighteen thousand autopsies, and I've reviewed, signed off, and supervised and evaluated over thirty-eight thousand other autopsies. Well, I ran the math, Dave. That's eleven thousand two hundred autopsies a year, or twenty-one and a half autopsies a week if you're keeping score. That's a lot of fucking dead bodies <laughs> Dude, that he's looked on or Fuck on. this guy right now. You don't we like need, this guy. We need a fucking documentary on this motherfucker, right? Is he still alive? Yeah, as far as oh, I know. Oh, he's going down. You know who I'm talking about, right? You've he's, seen this guy. He's the I know exactly who he's on. He's the fucking coroner that always Bald guy. That always fucking finds the missing bullet uh -huh. yeah. or the fucking strangling device. Yep. It's called a Garrett. Ugh, yeah. So anyway, Piece of shit. we also meet um, a, a, a homicide commander from New York called Vernon uh, J. Gaberth. And he says, I personally Fucking investigated, supervised, consulted, and researched over 8,000 homicides. And he said, I wrote practical homicide investigation because there was a need for a standard protocol to approach all deaths. Yeah, this guy wrote the SOP on fucking. He did. <laughs> on, fucking on what homicide. do you do when you come across a dead body? Like, homicide, <laughs> homicide for dummies. Yes. <laughs> Step one: yeah. put that white shit under your fucking nose yeah. so it doesn't smell like fucking dead bodies. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit, is that what they do? do you, have you never seen never Sounds seen. of the Lambs? Um, yes, yeah. not really. Well, you know how the cops always like, hey, we know the smell of death. Yeah, always care. It's you know what it's like. It's like Vicks it's the smell around. of New Delhi and fucking <laughs> India is what it is, dude. And Varnas, dude, it's fucking the smell of just burning bodies, bro. You put it underneath your nose so you don't have to smell the shit. Yeah. So and then it's like step three: grab a paper bag, you know, to yak into. No, for your evidence. All right. Anyway, uh, well. We hear another voice, and it says, from the very beginning, everything that the detectives encountered indicated to them it was suicide. Well, Cyril says, the decision to rule the case by police the same day to make a public pronouncement that this was a suicide is not the way good police agencies would function today. Now, we see the report and date of the report, and there's a date of the incident, and they're both dated the same, uh, 040894. Now, I don't know if that's standard protocol or not. Uh, I don't know if incident and date are the same thing, but when I looked at it, I'm like, you thought it was going to be, you thought it was August. No, I would think that the date of the report is the day it. you're there. And the date of oh. the incident oh, would mean oh, oh, oh. refer to the suicide. I thought you meant which, the format of the fucking date. 
No, I just off. figured yeah. that when they say the date of the incident would refer to the actual suicide. Right. Which would not be the same day. Right. Based on decomposition. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, Vernon says, as a homicide commander, I would not be making any proclamations that this case was a suicide without processing all the evidence. I'd review the victimology, the medical legal process, toxicology. It's a death investigation. Well, Cyril says they knew nothing about the drug level. They now knew- now I, I don't think Elvis died on his fucking toilet like eating a fucking banana sandwich. By the banana way, and peanut butter sandwich. I hate now, to go dude. on a sideways, God, I got to talk it, about dude. it. I was watching an old episode of Unsolved Mysteries uh-huh, last night. Uh-huh. His brother, uh-huh. Elvis's stepbrother, yeah. Claims uh, that oh Elvis killed himself uh-huh. because what Elvis did is yeah. he would dose himself three times a day with what he referred to as an attack. There was attack one, <laughs> attack two, okay. attack three. Okay, okay, you've got the barbiturates, yeah. you've got the seconds, yeah, and then you've got the uppers. Well, according to Elvis's brother, uh-huh. that night he was in bed with I think a woman named Ginger, and he said, "Honey, I gotta go to the bathroom right now. I'll be right back." Time for, time for the uppers. He goes into the bathroom, and what he done is he had hoarded his three attacks from the day, uh, and he took all three of his attacks at that one time. Uh, and his brother said, I saw all three attack envelopes in the bathroom. That's why I know he committed suicide. Uh, okay. Oh, oh. Yeah. I thought he would just want to have a good time with Ginge. No, plus he'd been praying a lot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that is when my before my cousin blew his brains out and he fucking he was found naked with a rosary oh, thing. Oh, really? With those big rosary crosses around his yeah. neck too. Was he nude? Yep, nude. Dude, by the way, I'm never going out in the nude. <laughs> this is fucking creepy. It's fucking Dude, I mean, he had a he had a rough time. I understand. No, I know, I know. But like, here's the thing. You know you can get fucking post-mortem boners right <laughs> okay you can't that's why you care no i mean yeah it's like i just wouldn't want to be in a situation where uh. somebody had to walk in and just be like he's got rig bone you gotta give him a couple of minutes before we uh put him back put him in the bag yeah but that's the whole thing he doesn't once you fit in the bag once you harden up it's yeah. not never going down yeah, yeah, yeah i just yeah. wouldn't want to put anybody through that yeah yeah, yeah. anyway sure. cyril yeah. says the decision to rule the case by police the same day and to make a public pronouncement that was a suicide is not the way police agencies would function today. Now, I think I already read that, but forgive me. Yeah, So before I came up with my Elvis comment. Vernon says, you know, it's a death investigation. So all of these guys are saying they jumped the gun, all right? Now, let's get to what they found. Cyril says, uh, 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 Cases that involve prominent figures, these cases usually take more time because you know that there are going to be more questions. People are going to want to know every single thing about it. Sounds Phil- like Nixon. No, no. That <laughs> I, would, know, I know, I know. I'll do Nixon later. He says, in the Philip Seymour Hoffman case, they found him with a needle in his arm. They found yeah, 50 yeah. bags of heroin right there in his apartment. I bet. And yet, they did not make an announcement that it was a suicide. They knew that they should not be commenting. Official statements 
as to cause a manner of death do not come from police or oh, even homicide oh, oh, detectives. So the, oh, this they fucking pr- this fucking prick's pissed that like he almost got his check fucking fucked with because the police want to come out and be like, yeah, it was a suicide. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't make the decisions here. The coroner makes the decisions on there. Not you motherfuckers. You're setting some bad precedent. Now, give me my check and yeah. we'll call it a suicide. It's and okay. not, not only that, but since I sign off on the medical examiner's report, my initials are there, my name is there, and I know for the rest of my life, people are going to be calling me from Unsolved Mysteries and from History's Mysteries and from the day JFK was shot. Uh, and I know I will cash a paycheck and give you my opinion uh, on what happened. Oh, gross. Buddy, this isn't the first time we've seen celebrity autopsies. I, I know, I know. There was the it's fucking all, one guy. They're all bullshit. Yeah. So anyway, Tom, he says, I, I never believed that the police were involved from the beginning in any kind of conspiracy, okay? He says, I think they were set up by Courtney from that missing persons report and everything that was said in it. Well, Norm, he's chief police at the time, he says, in my officers, if my officers heard or were made aware that Cobain had left rehab, purchased a shotgun, was suicidal, uh, that's, of course, going to affect them. Well, Vernon, he's the New York guy who wrote the book on what to do when you find a dead body. He says, they, what I call, assumed the suicide position, which to me means cut corners, not do this, not do that, because it's a suicide, no problem. Well, remember when Tom was at the crime scene going up to the detective at the time and saying, yes. hey, I was here last night? Yeah. Well, we see them having a meeting together. And Tom says, you know, the reports that were coming out in the media said Kurt Cobain was barricaded inside the greenhouse. So now we have this meeting between Tom Grant and Sergeant Cameron. And Tom shows up with a picture and says, look at this picture. Is that the lock you're talking about? He's referring to the lock on the French doors. And the actor who was playing the cop, he says, "Uh, I don't know where this picture's from. So I couldn't say. And he's a little lippy. And he's like, well, that's from the greenhouse. I've been over the place inside out, and trust me, that's the only lock. And he's like, if you say so. Uh-oh, using some of his own shit on him. And he's getting sassy with him. Nah. And Tom says, well, presuming I'm telling you the truth, why would you say that he locked himself in? Because the door was locked. Well, Tom's like, look at the picture. It's not a deadbolt. It's a twist lock. Anybody can twist the lock, push the button, walk behind him, and shut the door. Yeah. He's like, huh. (laughs) He's like, look, the lock doesn't matter. There was a stool wedged up against the door. Now, how do you wedge a stool against the door after you're already left in the room? Well, we got big news incoming. Are you ready? Wait, there's a stool on the outside of the door and Cobain's inside? Correct. When did they find that out? Well, we're going to get to it. Wait, wait, wait. Who says that? The The police chief says that or whatever. Correct. Not not Rhodes. Correct. Or, okay, 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 okay. His name's Grant. Grant, whatever. The police chief is... Not Tom is, Rhodes. Is, is stating this. <laughs> yeah, Tom. Well, yeah. Tom says, the police report plainly states that the door was simply sitting in front of the two unlocked French doors at the other side of the room. But on one of the reports, it was added that the stool was blocking the entrance. Okay? So the cops don't even have the right information yeah. in their report. Okay. okay. Yeah. There were French doors on the other side of the room. Right. That's where the the fucking stool was. Interesting. But Sergeant Cameron's claiming it was in the front door. 
okay? Right. With the lock, with the push button lock right, on. Right, 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 right. Well, John Fisk, who was on site, he said, he was the EMT, he says, someone reported that there was a stool blocking the door. That was not the case. I don't know where that came from. Huh. Well, Tom says, if you could just show me the photographs that your officers took at the scene, we can put that issue to rest for all. Now, this is Cameron who comes back to yeah. him and says, well, the photographs haven't been developed, and they probably never will be. Oh, uh, boy. We don't develop photographs on suicides. Uh-huh. What the fuck? Yeah, it sounds like bullshit, dude. Why wouldn't you develop photographs on everything? Yep, it sounds like bullshit. sounds like somebody's looking for a payday. Well... Gaberth from New York says, I've never heard of this. Every case I've involved in has crime scene photographs are developed. Why not release them to experts? You know, it was something the Seattle Police Department did in hindsight. They probably shouldn't have, but that's what they did. Well, Cameron looks back to Grant and says, nothing you've said convinces me anything that this is not a suicide. Now, you got any other pearls for me? And Grant's like, no, not at this time. Oh, boy. Well, Stamper, who's the chief of police, he says, Detective Cameron resigned when he learned that I was preparing to fire him. He Detective had Cameron. The one that's given Grant all the fucking okay. stiff was walls. Was going to resign when who was going to fire him? The chief of police. Okay, 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 Stamper. okay, 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 Stamper. Got it, got it, got it. Stamper was going to fire him because Cameron colluded with one of his own detectives to replant evidence that had been stolen by a homicide detective at a homicide scene. And that is why I was preparing to fire. And this is the reason why I love it that the Speaker (laughs) of the House has been fucking outed, all right? So here's what you need to understand. You know what the evidence was? What was that? $10,000 in cash. Uh Uh-huh. So he planted $10,000 in cash. Because he stole it? Yeah. Somebody routed him out oh. and then he had to replant it. Oh, fuck. So he does this. And of course, Norm Stamper finds out about it and says, You got to go. Okay. So back to the recreation with Tom and yep. Detective. Yep. Um, this is a different detective. It's Detective Kirkland this time. Ooh, I wonder if he's in we're, relation. We're talking about the, uh, the photographs. Costco. The photographs. Uh huh. Okay. I see you reaching. Yeah. yeah okay. Tom, Tom says, I'm just giving you information I have. I don't care what you do with it. Well, Detective Kirtland says, I understand that, but I think your investigation is into things that our investigation doesn't apply to. Well, we hear them speak again on recorded audio between Kirkland and Grant. And Kirkland says, maybe you're concerned with what he was doing, where he was and all that. I mean, normally our homicide unit does not even respond to suicides. If the patrol officer thinks it's a suicide and feels good about it, then he notifies the medical examiner's Mm -hmm, office. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Grant says, you don't allow a patrol officer with no homicide investigative experience to determine whether a scene is a suicide or not. My opinion is, in 1994, they just didn't look at anything. If it appeared to be a suicide, it was a suicide case closed a little bit more from that audio uh kirkland says emmy goes out there they look at the body and if they're comfortable that it's a suicide then we don't even respond again comfortable i mean it's a little sketch right well then we see on the titles 
By their negligent death investigation, the Seattle police allowed Kurt Cobain to be cremated six days after being discovered, <laughs> waited 30 days to process the shotgun for fingerprints, and gave Courtney Love the shotgun to have it melted down. They also allowed the greenhouse crime scene to be torn down and destroyed. <laughs> they always do this. All right, let's talk about. They always do this, dude. Next, we see a title that says "Media Disinformation." <sighs> uh huh. Cyril Spack. Mm hmm. The news media do poison the atmosphere, and I've been involved in cases. Yeah, he wanted to say poisoning the well, didn't he? That <laughs> fucking prick. In which it was impossible, almost to overcome the beliefs that had been created with in the community because of the way in which that particular death was reported. It's fucking <laughs> piece of shit, dude. Load skis. Judging by the evidence of the scene, Love says Cobain apparently drew a chair up to a window looking out on Puget Sound, sat down, and took some more drugs, picked up his shotgun, and using his thumb, it seems, shot himself in the head. The physical damage was so severe that his body could only be identified by fingerprints. Well, Fisk, who was the EMT on the scene, he says, I was surprised. Normally a shotgun would be a wound to the head. The ones I've seen are pretty devastating, often making facial features unrecognizable. His head was not grossly deformed or badly damaged. I think I certainly would have recognized him. I don't see any reason why anyone wouldn't have who knew what he looked like. Ah. Ah. <laughs> you don't like that one? Ah. Talk I don't to me. like. I mean, this is so like. Uh, I just, you know, this type of shit. Like, it, I, okay, I expect it from the whore, the pig, the uh -huh. hole, literally the uh -huh. hole. Yeah, I, I expect it from bitches. I expect it from managers. I expect it from agents. I don't. I don't. I don't like it when it's like. The police. He's not the police. Involved. I know, no, I know that. I know, yeah. But I'm saying, like, there's some seems to be some kind of involvement, like mm -hmm. some complacency, like some maybe they got a phone call before, maybe something could have been, you know, yeah, somebody <sighs> could have dropped a dime and just said, "Go look at this." Yeah. Okay. Well, Tom says Seattle's own police reports indicate that Officer Lavandowski found Cobain's wallet lying on the floor. Right. He opened it up and removed his driver's license and he put it on top of Cobain's wallet to take a photograph for evidence. And again, this is my point. Most of the media reported that Kurt left his driver's license exposed and a lot of them went into a lot of detail that he did that so that everyone would recognize him. But it was completely false. Yeah. Well, we have another audio recording of Tom talking to Rosemary Carroll. Tom, did you read the article in Us Magazine? No. In there, there's a quotation supposedly from the suicide note, and it says, quote, I can't live my life like this any longer, unquote. Something to that effect. I don't have it right in front of me. That's not in the suicide note, okay? Now, keep in mind, I'm assuming that information is when Courtney read it aloud on the radio station or at the service or whatever. Because do you remember after... She, after he died, they had the, the service and she was there and she read the note. 
No. Okay, well, that's what I'm thinking. So she read the suicide note, but she's she's reading the fucking note from Rome or something, maybe? No, she was at the service in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I recall, she said, and then there's a bunch of other shit that's not for you guys that I'm not going to fucking say, if I recall. So anyway, Tom says the only people that have that, the information about what's in the suicide note, is Courtney and me and the police. So they had to have gotten that from Courtney to the best of my knowledge. And that's not a statement that's in the suicide note. But yet, it's a statement that I feel she wants people to think. Okay? Again, the statement is, I can't live my life like this any longer. And Rosemary says, you know what's amazing? Is that she can do this, you know? Well, Lodsky's is back. He says, love, who contrary to rumor, says she and Cobain hadn't broken up, says Cobain had first written a suicide note to her, which said in part, it's not fun for me anymore. I can't live this life. So that's a little bit different. They added the fun in that part in front of, I can't live my life like this any longer. Well, or he's just not quoting exact. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, back maybe to, she's taking maybe she's taking like bits and pieces from each note. Creative you know? license, yeah, in embellishing. Uh. Well, Cyril says news media play a great role in these matters. John Kennedy, incidentally, pointed out the need for integrity within the news media. This has been something that was commented upon going back to offending fathers because sometimes. Pressure from news media can be very significant. Well, we see Kurt in an older interview, and he says, Wait, I don't... Loader or no, Cobain? No, dude, that's Lodeskis. Okay. okay. Kurt's Kurt. Kurt. Kurt says, I don't have the right to make an opinion on anything that I read or see on television until I go to the fucking source myself personally. Yeah. Pretty, pretty sage advice from... You know, probably a 25, 26-year-old person yeah. at the time. All right, let's talk toxicology. Okay, let's talk it, baby. Okay, Tom says... <laughs> I had to- a quite the report on me this weekend. I, yeah, well, I don't want to measure your levels. <laughs> the toxicology report from Kurt Cobain's autopsy indicated a smack blood level. He doesn't say smack. He says heroin. Uh, a heroin level of 1.52 milligrams per liter. Well, Cyril says five milligrams will produce a level of 0.035 milligrams, okay? That's five milligrams will produce a level of 0.035 milligrams. Ian McIntyre, he's a chief toxologist uh, from the San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office, says most users, even heavy users, only use up to 40 to 60 milligrams in one hit. Well, Cyril says, so you can see here, to reach 1.52 milligrams per liter, you're talking about an amount that would have certainly have exceeded 200 milligrams that were injected into Kurt Cobain. Now, the doc illustrates this by showing syringe needles, okay? Okay. Two full syringes and one-third of a syringe, okay? Okay. Representing that 1.52 milligrams per liter. Okay. Now- it's a lot. It is a lot, but I think this could be a little misleading because obviously... If you're going to drug this fucking somebody, use a bigger fucking needle. Well, not only that, (laughs) but what they're saying, what they're showing you is this would have been very difficult to do 
because he would have been, had to inject himself yeah. three times, ah, 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 ah. okay? Yeah. But more importantly, what they're not saying, which I think could be a little misleading, is they're not attesting to the purity of the smackaroo, okay? Mm. So let's say he had some high-grade super smack. Yeah. And again, I've never cooked smack. Not, I don't know how the cotton thing works. Neither do I. But I'm assuming... But you yeah. could still get 1.52 milligrams yeah. of super smack mm -hmm. into one uh, needle. Maybe. But it would be like a darker color because Maybe. you're not doing it. Maybe. And I think, though, that's when you get into, and don't quote me, I don't know, you get into blockage and like not being able to actually get the hair on out of the, out of the needle. Is that what it does? Or are you yeah. in the cotton? You're talking no, the cotton. I don't really know. Yeah, if anybody really know. knows how to cook, <laughs> Dave, we have to cook. <laughs> Tell us, because my, my concern is this. The doc could be misleading the viewers in that regard by saying the only way to get 1.52 milligrams of smackaroo in your yeah, arm yeah, 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 is yeah. to shoot two full loads yeah. and then a third of another needle. Hell yeah. Now, well, I, well, this is also the thing, like why you couldn't do, you couldn't, you couldn't shoot up crack back in the day but like you can now like you couldn't shoot you could always shoot cocaine not cocaine crack people shoot crack you people well people now shoot like i mean okay well here's the thing you couldn't shoot crack back in the day because it wouldn't go through the syringe right it's too thick or whatever right right so that's all I'm kind of basing that on. Right. So maybe it has something to do with the viscosity of the, <laughs> of the hair on. <laughs> wow, we sound actually talking about drugs. Yeah. I don't sound this nerdy usually. I, I, mean, it's I sound just, fucking just ill-informed right now. Here's the thing. <laughs> we can all be led astray by the slightest visual. Okay. Sure. Which sure, leads sure, us sure, to sure, connect sure. another dot in our head because they don't outright say he dot would head. have to. <laughs> I see there. Dot, dot head. They don't outright say he would have to shoot two needles right, right, right. and a third of another needle, yeah. which would not give him enough time right. to do the gun. Right. But the problem is that's inferred when I watched it. Right. And that's very dangerous. Yeah. Because as you know, conspiracies are like dominoes. All you need is one to fall on the other, to fall on the other, before it turns to fall to two, to four, to eight. And then you're gone. But the you're thing in a is, rabbit hole. Yeah. And you're like, this is what exactly happened. Then you're like, who the fuck set up the dominoes? <laughs> exactly. Who did it? Okay. Well, <laughs> Stamper says three times the amount that would be considered lethal. That's three times the amount. This supposed 1.52 milligrams. But like, I just imagine get up a bigger fucking needle. I mean, they've got to have larger ones. Yeah, that's right, true. On, right. But apparently, I guess they're going with the needle that was so there on was, site. So there was a needle in his arm also, right? It wasn't in his arm. But it was uh, but, out. But was there, there were markings in his arm, like oh, fresh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but there were probably always markings in his arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but they're obviously going off the standard, I'm guessing, wasn't 10 cc. Hold on. there something in his neck? No. Okay, go on. I'm guessing it's the tan standard 10 cc needle that I know, you I know, use. I know, I know. Because those are what I use for um, insulin. No, no, for my cat's meds. Uh huh. Because you know, mom. Yeah. She's got the the booty. She licks too much. Yeah. She licks her asshole too much. Yeah, so I have to inject. Eating that I, ass. I don't. I don't inject her. That's an oral. Yeah, but yeah. I'm assuming it's that, that. 10 cc's, yeah, yeah. which okay. I think is 10 milligrams, isn't it? Sure. Okay. I don't know. Whatever my dad uses for insulin. Anyway. Max, who's the writer of Love and Death, he's, you know, he says, we have not in 18 years found a single case 
where somebody could have the level of heroin in their body that Kurt did and still remain conscious. Conscious. Now, they, do you remember the Man Cow radio show out of Chicago? Fuck yeah, dude. Okay. No, Man Cow. He goes on Man Cow. And, and Cowhead. Yeah, he says, you hear him saying, 70 times the lethal dose for the average person, triple the lethal dose even for the most severe heroin addict. It would have incapacitated him. He would have been unconscious. Like within minutes, right? I seconds. Think, I think they're saying seconds. Wow. And then roll down their sleeves, put away their heroin kit, pick up the shotgun, position it backwards, and pull the trigger. Now, again, this is feeling like hyperbolic to me. You can't assume I mean, yeah. that he didn't already have his sleeve rolled up. Well, okay. I mean, plus, like, here, I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick. I mean, yeah. to cut you off here. But, like, also, I don't know how long these things stay in your body for and how, f I don't know. So maybe he was fucking doing heroin all day and he took two and a half needles that day, that whole day in the span of 12 hours. And it right. still shows up when you take the toxicology. Like, I don't fucking know how it works. So I can't really. But. I mean, if they're saying that that's some bullshit, then yeah, I don't know. Well, Cyril weighs in and he said, that deals with coordinative functions. How about the emotional aspects of this? Why would he then shoot himself before the drug has had a chance to take effect? And I guess my feeling is to answer that question because he wanted to be sure, okay? He, because yeah. we've talked about this before, there is no 100 successful suicide rate attempt with a shotgun. Right. It's, I want to say it's 98% effective. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. If, I, if I recall. It's still pretty good odds. But doesn't matter. Right, if right, you right. really want to be dead, right. there, are, there are many instances where people will hang themselves and before they hang themselves, they'll shoot themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like the one who <laughs> uh, the Clintons found in uh, Arkansas. Vernon Jordan. When the fucking hung himself with an extension cord and, and then shot himself oh, no. with the, in the chest yeah, yeah, with I'm the talk, shotgun. I'm talking about somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. was found way far away. Okay. Well, we also meet a doctor, Vincent DeMeo, and he said he's a forensic um, a, a pathologist as well. And he says, no study that I know has correlated the use of heroin with suicide. Okay. Now, obviously, he's not referring about accidental huh. overdoses, but I find huh. that stat to be a little interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Cyril says, I cannot think of a case in which I have had someone inject himself with a large dose of heroin and then proceed to kill himself. It just doesn't make sense, and it doesn't fit in with these kinds of situations involving heroin. Okay. So, so, so fucking... <laughs> What's the guy's name again? That guy's name? It's Cyril Weck. Weck is fucking uh, backtracking a little bit, man. He's like uh, covering up his tracks a little bit. Well, and here's what I say to this. The man studied a lot of dead bodies, obviously, but let's not forget that Kurt Cobain was an innovator. Okay? Sure. He could be the one to be the first to do this. I guess. Okay. Back to Norm. He sure. says, there are questions that I think deserve answers and, in fact, require answers. Well, DeMeo says, many of the questions could be answered if... The medical examiner's office would make public the autopsy report. Well, we're introduced to chief toxologist from the San Diego medical examiner's office, Ian McIntyre. And we now see him and he says, uh, we haven't been able to see the toxicology report on the autopsy report because I haven't had access to review the actual documentation from the authorities. Well, according to DeMeo, the autopsy report is public record. But apparently in this jurisdiction, 
It is not. So again, we're breaking precedent here. Why isn't this public information? Right. Well, old Gerbeth, who wrote the fucking book right. on, you just found a dead body? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm your guy. He says, in the case of Cobain, they shouldn't have Your made- house was just painted, you say. <laughs> Good reference. Uh, in the case of Cobain, they should have made them part of the release with the freedom of information. Now, he doesn't say act or whatever, but I thought Freedom of Information Act just applied to the feds. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you know the answer to that? I mean, I think it goes, I think it's for any public record. And I think like a lot of the stuff is technically a public record. Well, he says why I, uh, why they didn't do that, I don't know. In hindsight, maybe they should have. We wouldn't be having this discussion today. Well, back to Tom. He says there was a documentary made in about 97, I believe, called Kurt and Courtney. Have you ever seen it, Dave? No. Okay. He says, I cooperated with the producer and director uh, named Nick Broomfield. Well, Nick Broomfield, we see a piece of this film called Kurt and Courtney and the voiceover for the film. And Nick Broomfield's got a weird accent. He says, Tom Grant's assertion that 1.52 milligrams of heroin per liter would have incapacitated Kurt were discounted by Dr. Colin Brewer, formerly director at Westminster Hospital. He gave us this color slide of a patient balancing easily on one leg who had taken the equivalent of over twice the amount of Kurt. Hmm. So does this go back to smack tolerance? Did Kurt just have serious Ronnie tolerance? Yeah, my stomach hurt all the time. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Is it possible? Yeah. Well, Tom says the problem with this video that's in Broomfield's documentary is that the man that's standing on one leg on three times the heroin was actually not on Ron. He was on methadone. Uh, Okay? And more importantly, he swallowed the methadone. uh, Yes. So there are holes in this movie. Well, McIntyre says... Methadone is a pain medication. It's also used to treat heroin addiction. Yeah. And because it's taken orally, it's absorbed much slower. Yeah. It takes time to get in the blood. So it could take up to an hour or perhaps so wonder, two hmm. before its highest concentration. Hmm. Heron, on the other hand, injected directly into the vein, is immediately available to circulation, immediately available to the brain. Now, right. Cyril says, comparing oil methadone to intravenous heroin, heroin, what's the trade expression? Apples to oranges? It's much worse than apples to oranges. It might be peaches and asparagus if you're comparing. <laughs> I'm surely so amazed good. that a competent uh, forensic scientist would have made that kind of comparison. Now, interestingly enough, when they show the animation of heroin being injected into a body, yeah. They show the arm that they're injecting it into. Yeah, asparagus? No. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's got like nine track marks on uh, it. Fuck, okay. So I was like, okay, you kind of overdid it with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we're running out of time, so we're going to end there. Okay. What we're going to do next week is we're going to get into the logistics of ballistics and the shotgun. Okay. But that will be for next week's episode. Now, Dave, at this beginning of the show, or in the middle, you say, Chris, you don't always fucking tell me something. So did yeah. I not answer something how so many, far? It was how many days uh-huh. before Kurt was found yeah. did Courtney 
say he was missing? I want to say it was two. Two days. Okay. Maybe three. And then they, they did they say like how fresh his body was? Like they never discuss that yeah that's what really bugs me yeah they never talk about the post-mortem uh condition yeah. the body was in when they found it sure now maybe I that's think, maybe that's why here's maybe the that's thing. why they they couldn't recognize the face if i recall the they backtracked the date and we'll double check when we start next week's episode to him dying on monday by forensics so that would have put it Monday he died, and they found him on Friday. Now keep in mind, of course, if you recall, when Courtney reached out to Tom Grant yeah. to start working on the case, it was Easter Sunday. Okay, so... The day before he died. The day before that he possibly potentially died. Correct. Assuming they're accurate enough yeah. to say he yeah. died on the 4th. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I would think they could pretty much figure that out. Oh, this guy got a lot of info in a week. Holy shit. Yeah. Could you imagine getting that call? And Jesus. then, the, you know, we're, we'll and get being into... being there, like being, just just being there. Fuck, man. The Fuck. thing that, that's the most um, disturbing to me is if you see the house multiple times, you pull into the driveway. It's right there. Now, Tom Grant's assertion is it was night. I couldn't see it. And more importantly, I was with Dylan, and Dylan led me directly into the house. Yeah. So anyway, we'll cover that and more, much more, as a matter of fact, when we return with episode 62 and part two of Soaked in Bleach. Dave, as always, please tell our beautiful listeners what they can do to help us out around here. Well, the best thing to do is go to our Apple page, listen to the podcast, yeah. first of all. Yeah, people, by the way, keep going in there saying that you suck, and I really appreciate it. I that. love it. I want them to tell them I suck. Just follow the rules. <clears throat> Although my friend Ralphie just uh, sent me a nice text message the other day. Kept, keeps me going. It's okay, like, good. Always support. About time. Me. About time. I got yep. a little texty text. Thanks, bud. Um, go to Apple Podcasts. Find down on the docs. Leave us a five-star review. Tell them how much I suck. And then uh, you can also go on Spotify, leave us a review on each episode. We will have to read it and review it and put it, um, post it. We've never not. But well, yeah, well, you can say well, yeah. you can literally say you whatever say, the fuck you want. You I don't care. Dave sucks there. Yeah, as long as it's five stars, I don't care. Yeah. But really, the most fun you're gonna have is if you come to the Discord channel and you hang out with us because we're there. We're posting. We got retard sexual blowtorch making assets. And uh, he might be making something for me, too, coming That's up. That's what I, I hear. Might have a special announcement coming special out soon. Announce. Shout out of the week goes to Bex, a.k.a. Zen Producer on Twitter. Ah, uh, yes. Zenheiser's producer. Zenhauser's producer. Uh, Zenhauser's producer. Mm, yep. Well, um, they suggested uh, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. I have seen the film. Ooh. I am currently in the process of seeking uh, a transcription. Ooh. So it will go in the queue, 100%, because it. it's a it. wild, wild documentary. Um, other than that, thank you, as always, to um, uh, Broccoli Farms. Broccoli and um, that's it. We'll see you next week with episode 62. We hope you enjoy the pod as much as we did creating it. Back at you next week. Yeah.